Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer. I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said... Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. You voted. I did. You protested. Again. You postcarded. So many Sundays. You posted on social media. Got some likes. And you're still reeling from all the terrible news. Yeah, but what else can I do? I'm Kelly. I'm Lila. And we're going to help you figure that out. Each week, we'll interview people on the front lines of political action about the things they actually did to take action what got them started, who helped them along the way, and what they'd do differently if they had it to do all over again. And in the process, we'll give you concrete advice about how to take the leap from freaking out on Twitter to making a difference. Follow What Can I Do wherever you listen to podcasts or tune in on whatcanidopodcast.com. Thanks to Noom for supporting Muller She Wrote, Noom is designed for results. Meet your resolutions by signing up for your trial today at Noom, that's N-O-O-M, dot com slash A-G. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash A-G now to start your trial today. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, our position is. 
I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Muller She Wrote. I'm your host, A.G. I have my voice back. Yay. And with me, as always, is Jaleesa Johnson. Hello. And Jordan Coburn. Hello. It is our last episode of the 2018 and it's the season two finale, you guys. This is the season finale. We're so glad you joined us. Uh, I'm hoping you all had a great holiday. Where'd you guys go? I uh, stayed home, <laughs> but it was nice. I love the holidays because the streets are really quiet, so everything feels really mellow, but I do the same things, Netflix and chill. Nice. Yeah. You just do it with less annoying people around. Exactly. Honestly, I love it. <laughs> I went to uh, York, Pennsylvania mm. to visit my mom. She just moved there. It was great. The outskirts of York, very racist. <laughs> Uh, the downtown, though, very liberal. It's like a racism donut Yeah, <laughs> in the oh. middle. It's just nice and not racist. We're the donut hole liberals. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. yeah. It was good. It was I really like fun. donut holes. Beautiful city. Me too. <laughs> but now that we're part of the Noom family, gotta watch no out No more donut donuts holes. or fun. No, you can have treats. <laughs> uh, treat yourself. Um, that is my favorite episode of Parks and Rec. Okay. Now that we've advertised for a bunch of stuff for free that we're not getting paid for, uh, <laughs> we had a we, York, Pennsylvania. We had a, our family had a big giant uh, family Christmas Eve dinner in Phoenix, right? And so my mom's side of the family is small, right? There's only a handful of us, but well, I shouldn't say my mom, my my dad's side is small. My mom's side, my mom has a sister, and but her, my my aunt. Her husband has 10 brothers and sisters, and they're all in their 60s. So they all have kids, and their kids have kids. Wow. So there's like there's like 50 people Jeez. at this dinner, and they're all part of this family. And I'm sitting there with my cousin, who I grew up with, and she's telling me who everyone is. I'm like, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> it's like the Devil Wears Prada scene with yeah. the binder. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I'm all over here with like the five of us on our side of the family, and I'm all, doozies rule. Nice. Um, that's our nickname for our family. Um, oh. Anyway, uh, it gets th- awkward at funerals too. Like when the families are like different, like that. I've seen that live. It's it's really tense. And yeah. weddings. Have you oh, seen yeah. the birdcage? That's so great. Um, anyway, uh, we have a massive show this week. Uh, Jordan is going to be covering a Daily Beast interview with Rudy Giuliani. He's lubing the truth again. And Jaleesa, you're going to cover a New York Times report about Trump's feet. Gross. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm going to cover uh, the Mueller Madness Sweet 16 bracket of top stories of 2018 that I created. And we have a montage of all of our ghosts of guests past, including, you ready? <clears throat> Greg Proops, Seth Abramson, Renato Mariotti, Virginia Heffernan, Sarah Kenzier, Greg Oliar, Scott Dworkin, Andrea Chalupa, David Priest, Jack Bryan, Elizabeth McLaughlin, Randall from Randall's Animals, Joyce Vance, and Mimi Roca. <laughs> and you can catch that montage at the end of the show. So stick around for that. Um, That's awesome. What a great group of guests we've had the best yeah amazing people and new friends new friends (laughs) yes we're it's it was funny i put that all out on twitter and someone's like oh wait a name drop podcaster name dropping and i'm like name dropping i'm telling you who's on our show yeah also you gotta label people and if they're down (laughs) 
Yeah. So everyone can know what celebrities are down, you know? Yeah. Down for the cause. Yeah. I can see if they weren't on the show how it would be name dropping, but they're all on it. It's yeah. an amazing lineup. Yeah. I didn't quite say that, though. I said, if I, you know, if you were to put out a podcast that had all these people on it, what would you call it? So maybe they didn't realize that all those people were going to be on it. Oh, I see. I see. They thought you were just like saying names for the heck of it, like hypothetically. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like mm-hmm. on late night shows, they're like, and tonight we have some guy. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Stop name dropping, Fallon. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I'm going to do that <laughs> next time I have a comedy show. Somebody else is next. Mm-hmm. You probably saw him somewhere. Yeah. Have fun. Sorry, guy with new book. I'm humble. <laughs> I was in the book. I'm not going to name drop. Uh, anyway, we got a ton of new patrons this week. So thank you for that. Welcome. Uh, we're only about 150 more away from being able to record a second episode each week, which will come out as a bonus episode uh, for our patrons. So if you want access to that second episode every week, head to patreon.com slash wrote, And for just a few dollars, you can unlock all of the premium content. It's super worth it. You get access to our new second episode, but ad-free main episodes, all our past bonus and book club episodes, as well as future minisodes, unedited interviews, our newsletter with my research notes, access to our closed Facebook group in the Fantasy Indictment League, and all kinds of thank you gifts. That's patreon.com slash Muller, she wrote. I think we may just go ahead and start the second episode um, in, in the new year. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're close enough. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. I think we can do it. I think we can manage it. Um, just uh, finagle little budget numbers and make it make it real. <laughs> um, but seriously, we only have like 150 left to go. It's, we got a ton this month, and that's super cool. Yeah, so it's amazing. Thank you all for your support. We really appreciate it. Thanks for supporting women in podcasting. Thank uh, you. We do have some corrections from last week. <laughs> uh, first of all, the creatures that run Gringotts Bank and Harry Potter are <laughs> goblins. Um, and the head goblin's name is Griphook. Thank you. For that, we here at Muller She Wrote hit the hard topics. <laughs> and so I wanted to make sure um, you guys knew that we knew they were goblins. Um, I not, didn't. <laughs> not elves. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think much about it, but some people are hardcore Harry Potter fans, and they know their differences in races. So. I've seen them all. I've read the books, but, uh, you know, goblins. Does yeah. that make us racist for getting the name wrong? Like, it's like calling a, a his, you know, Latina person, like, I don't know, Filipino or I something? I don't know if it's... Are goblins a race? A species, maybe? That's, yeah. yeah. Specious. I don't know the fantastical categories <laughs> sociologically. No. How those neither. break down. Yeah. Um, It'd be a cool college course. They though. could be disenfranchised, <laughs> but they run the banks, so. Oh. I feel so like. You know. Wait a minute. <laughs> I feel like they're the Republicans of the wizarding world. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta look into this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> whole breakdown of the socio-political and economic yeah. uh, <laughs> breakdown of the of uh, the creatures in Harry Potter. It's another podcast. I mean, if they wanted to paint them more favorably, maybe they would have made them elves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right. Mm-hmm. We all love elves, Dobby. Elves are cute as fuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the house elves. Yeah. yeah. Goblins are just like, ah! Yeah. They are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not attractive. That's okay. Don't, um, don't body shame the <laughs> goblins. Sorry. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now you know and i just made fun of body you know what we're already hey, in a hole it's all um, good merry christmas uh we here at muller she wrote love to talk about the issues and that's why we bring up goblins i also wanted to clarify uh another correction mark milley who i thought trump would appoint as acting sec def secretary of defense he's the current chief of staff of the army not the deputy secretary of defense so thank you for that correction um 
it wasn't a mistake so much as I don't care. <laughs> no, I do. I do care. Um, it's the little things. Yeah, yeah. Chief of Staff of the Army is, is a big deal. Show some respect. I know, right? <laughs> respect with a K. <laughs> Uh, we have a lot of news to get to today, so let's kick it off with just the facts. Uh, Sunday night last week, Chief Justice John Roberts Jr. stayed the contempt order in the secret subpoena battle that's being waged against Bob Mueller, or at least his team. At least we think it is. Uh, we've got really good evidence that it's Mueller. Uh, this is the first instance of SCOTUS weighing in uh, on a legal proceeding related to the Mueller investigation into Russian collusion. First time. SCOTUS, Supreme Court of the United States. Roberts uh, stayed an order holding an unnamed foreign state-owned entity in contempt for one week, meaning they won't incur any additional financial pen- penalties for each week they refuse to comply with the Mueller subpoena. They were being charged $5,000 a week for not complying. <laughs> uh, the stiff five grand. Oh, it's real big when you're talking about zillions of dollars. Um, True. The stay gives SCOTUS one week to decide if it's going to intervene or if it's going to leave it to the lower courts. And if it decides to leave it to the lower courts, Mueller wins. Um, that's They're going to discuss it, and we should know soon. Last week, the D.C. Circuit Court ruled in favor of Mueller, saying that the foreign state-owned company would have to comply with the Mueller subpoena, which led the entity to ask the SCOTUS to step in. Mueller's response, which was due Friday and handed in Friday, was filed under seal, so no new updates have emerged. But you can place your bets in our Fantasy Indictment League in the Friends of Justice group. On Facebook, I still got VTB. Oh, yeah. As, um, as who it is. That makes a lot of sense. Somebody said, asked me if it was the United States Postal Service, if it could be the post office. And I was like, I don't think they're a state-owned company. Mm-mm. I think they're a federal agency. In fact, I'm, I'm sure of it. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. <laughs> the Supreme Court is like the dad of our country. If mom says no, you just like, dad. Yeah. And you ask them. And mm-hmm. he kicks it back. Can you help? Go ask your mom. Mm-hmm. The lower courts. Yeah, the DC <laughs> circuit courts are, your, are the mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's, let's make SCOTUS the mom. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they're all important. <laughs> RBG is on it, so. Yeah. Best oh. mom. Mm. Best mom. Oh, yeah. Hope she's doing all right. I hear she's back on the bench doing yeah. anything kicking <laughs> kicking it live then on to monday with a trump tweet ousting mattis two months before he was expected to depart we all know from last week that moderate dog mattis quit as secretary of defense and told everyone in his scathing resignation letter about how dumb trump is <laughs> Um, he said that he'd be leaving at the end of February. Well, Mr. Idiot Pants tweeted that he'd uh, named Shanahan the new acting secretary of defense starting January 1st, effectively telling Mattis he didn't have to stick around, thereby making Mattis eligible for unemployment insurance, which I think he should file for. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't that be fun? Why not? <laughs> Tuesday was Christmas and it was pretty quiet, uh, except for the horrific story of an eight-year-old Guatemalan boy that died in Border Patrol custody. This is a second child dead as a result of Trump's zero-tolerance policy for people seeking asylum in the United States. And uh, ugh, it's just that's – he apparently had symptoms of a cold. He had a fever. Mm-hmm. Uh, they cleared him, and then apparently he got worse and deteriorated and then passed mm-hmm. away um, yeah, late I, Christmas Eve. They said he tested uh, positive for influenza. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I think is so, yeah. Something that we should be able to treat pretty easily, right? Yeah, I heard yeah. he went and got penicillin or amoxicillin, I think penicillin though, and then yeah, like he said he was released and then he just his condition worsened really fast. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I mean, again, children shouldn't be in custody, so there's that. But right. also I I feel like at least these 
undocumented kids shouldn't because <laughs> there are some kids out there that are murderers but not in this case so i feel like yeah it's it's that issue of they shouldn't be in custody period and then also were they not checking them thoroughly enough or was it like a, an issue of overpopulation well they found that he had a fever mm-hmm. and they gave him medicine so they knew about it right um it's probably uh I, I know for a fact from reports from within the agency that they're very understaffed mm-hmm. um and now you know with the government shutdown a lot of them aren't getting paid or on furlough so i can't imagine things getting better and the only good argument, not even to say good argument, but feasible argument is that people die, right? And so sometimes they're in a spot like that when they when it happens. Mm-hmm. And my my counter argument to that is that child, if they're sick, they should be at home with their family. They shouldn't be in a cage, on a bus, detained, uh, in a super scary situation. I can't imagine how scary that is. I used to play hide-and-seek when I was a kid Mm -hmm. in my super-privileged world, and I would get scared shitless. So I can't even imagine what it's like to be in that environment. And how sanitary could could it be? Like I feel like at this point, they're not really, they don't seem concerned about keeping up with these things. So it's not the fault of the migrants if they're in this condition that is, is not good for when you're sick. It just makes things worse, I would imagine. Especially when Trump is like, they're bringing leprosy and AIDS and whatever. And yet there are actually children with common colds and influenza that are dying on their watch. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, get your priorities straight. Yeah. And stress and trauma really weakens the immune system. And the nervous system. Mm-hmm. And, and it yeah, it makes um, getting better harder. Right. And you would think, too... If he were not in that situation, he could have been admitted to a hospital and actually been in a hospital bed getting fluids consistently. Mm-hmm. Well, the a- argument then would be, well, taxpayer dollars have to pay for that. Right. Of course, that's what the mm. argument would be. Yeah. How sad. Goblins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And he keeps blaming the parents, I hear, right? Like the ideas that he says, like, don't make the trip. It's not worth it. Your kids yeah, can Jason die. Yeah. Jason Chaffetz has said that. And Trump and the administration, uh, Kellyanne. Sarah Sanders, they'd be like, we shouldn't take your child on that journey. And I'm like, go live in Guatemala for 10 minutes and tell me what you think is safer. Exactly. Yeah. And their ancestors. I mean, it's such a fundamental hypocrisy. I'm like, you think it's not worth it to take the trip if, if you're in that position of desperation? Like, it, How many of our ancestors, I, when I say our, I mean our white European ancestors died on boats coming over from Europe. Right. But it was worth the trip. Right. Mm-hmm. And no one ever was like, see, you shouldn't have made the trip. Exactly. Asshole. Yeah. Uh, well, they did a couple times uh, with Italian immigrants and Irish immigrants, but not to the degree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well. yeah people just that's always been the fascist or autocratic argument is that immigrants will ruin your country. It's and, ridiculous. And it's they, they keep it works. So they keep using it. Mm-hmm. Yep. I thought you were going to say something. Real- I was. I forgot. I forgot exactly who it was. But someone said it was King, I think, said that. It was like, he's like, only two kids have died. Just some awful quote. Oh, yeah. Steve wow. King. Mm-hmm. It's sure. This makes me really think about like what it must have been like growing up in Germany during that time when, when Hitler was in power. And people keep saying, like, don't compare Trump to Hitler. I think it's like if, if, if Hitler could ever be so powerful, then, you know, it only makes sense that someone like Trump could become powerful, too, because I think Hitler was way worse, obviously. But Trump... You know, it, it it's logical that we're in this position. And I wonder what people at that time did when one person died or, you know, two people died. Like when it slowly started happening, like, was it like, oh, you know, it's just here and there. Well, the politics of fear is power. Are, they're powerful. Uh, and 
that divisive utilization of fear of the unknown and, and fear that someone's going to take your job and fear that disease is coming and all just stoking that fear is, is a very powerful tool that people like Hitler have used. Trump is using it. Um, people, uh, right wing governments emerging in the EU are using it. Um, uh, Yanukovych used it in Ukraine. It's just a really common thing. Um, and it's sad that, that they have to that they can't win support with ideas Mm -hmm. um they have to do with fear right anyway uh wednesday the new york times did a piece about trump's vietnam bone spurs podiatrist and julissa you have that for us later in the show (laughs) yeah you got the foot story i do the foot doctor (laughs) (laughs) you have to do it in like a sexy voice. the foot doctor is here (laughs) it's impossible to make that sexy yeah, it's, it's funny if he were like a witch doctor because they like the witch hunt theme, you know, just keeping with brand <laughs> voodoo bone spurs. <laughs> that is my new band. Nice. Uh, we also learned Wednesday that Matthew fucking Whitaker lied on his resume about being an academic All-American during his football days at Iowa. Good old football days. Um, it's like he's like Al Bundy in that way, like that he'll never be as good as he was when he was playing football. And he wasn't even an academic All-American because he lied. Not only did he lie on his resume about this, but he put this lie in government documents. And this uh, is according not to the media, but to the organization that awards the honor. Okay, apparently Whitaker was a tight end (laughs) for (laughs) Iowa. I'm sorry. It's okay. From uh, 1990 to 1992. And he claimed to be an academic All-American in his biography on the website of the law firm he worked for. And on his resume, he submitted in 2014 to the CEO of that patent marketing firm where he touted a toilet for dudes with big dicks. (laughs) No bigs. Uh, But in 2010, when he applied for an Iowa judgeship, he included that lie in his paperwork, in his government paperwork, not just a resume. When you apply to, to be a government employee, you turn a resume in, but then you also have to fill out um, paperwork. Mm-hmm. And and he put that lie in there as well, telling everyone he was an academic All-American when he left his post as U.S. attorney in Iowa. So it turns out his name does not appear on the list of academic All-Americans on the website of that organization that awards the honor. Um, apparently it was confirmed by the University of Iowa. Somebody called him up and he, they're like, no, he was, we never gave him that. He was actually awarded a lower level honor, all district yeah, like the second to, to the All-American. Yeah, it's almost like he In just, Iowa. He thought that little lie would give him so much edge. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, Iowans. <laughs> yeah, no no shame to them. I think it's it's really all Whitaker here. It's, it's all on him. It's just a dildo. He, yeah, he could have chosen something a little more interesting. If you're going to allow your resume, for one, don't eventually become AG because like... Or not this AG, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, Attorney General. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just feel He's like he's just acting. I'm actually AG. you're the real AG. Oh, there's a hip hop title there. <laughs> the real AG. Yeah. Please stand up. <laughs> no. Yeah, man. I I know people that that lie. I've told McDonald's a lie or two. I think it's McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, I think it's so humanizing. At the same time, it, it's like this is the kind of people that Trump wants in the White House or at least close by. Actually, they shouldn't even be in, involved and for the you know in the Justice Department. It's sad. Well, I probably yeah. actually he was like, oh, he lied. Great, I'll take him. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> then Wednesday, we learned that Trump visited the troops in Iraq. At first, I tweeted, "Oh, look, he did something right." And I was being tongue-in-cheek, but I got a lot of backlash on Twitter from (laughs) folks saying, he'll fuck it up, shut up, he's not right, come on, think about it. Mm." 
Turns out he fucked it up. Um, not only did he pass out MAGA hats and Trump flags and shit to the troops, which is against the Uniform Code of Military Justice Section 4.1.1.1, by the way. <laughs> it's also against the rules for any member of the military to openly support a political candidate. But he also lied to the troops right to their face, saying they haven't had a raise in in years, decades. And uh, he was going to give them a 10 percent raise because he's so awesome. And that is just a complete lie. Our military has gotten a raise every year since forever, except in 1983. And a 10% raise? No. Last year, they got 2.6, like all federal government employees did. It's called a cost of living uh, adjustment raise, basically inflation. Mm -hmm. And the year before that, it was 2.8%. So those are the two Trump years, 2.8 and 2.6. I'm sure Trump supporters will bend over sideways to justify Trump lying to their faces, though. I can't... Like, I'll sit and I'll try to think yeah. of how I would defend that. I have an idea. Maybe they'd just be like, oh, he's he's human. They'll pull that one, you know, because it's like appealing to how people make mistakes and it's OK. What's the big deal? Two percent, 10 percent. What's the difference? But I, I feel like there should be a difference. Eight <laughs> percent. He sounds like he's running for high school student body president. Right. Yeah, I'm going to put raisin, cookies in every breakfast. <laughs> no more class. I ban homework forever. You can count on me for a hot tub in the cafeteria. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. A gilded hot tub. <laughs> With the goblins. Whites only. Whites only. <laughs> You'll make it dirty. <laughs> Sorry. I had it to quote. British. Yeah. I had to quote Flight of the Concords there. Ah, Sorry. yes. <laughs> uh, that was their racism, not mine. Please send them the emails. Then Thursday, <laughs> yeah, Julia. Same. <laughs> <laughs> same. It's all just Flight of the Concords. You guys hear me? Then Thursday, Giuliani continued his Lube of the Truth tour. Uh, and Jordan will have that for us in Hot Notes. If you're not familiar with the phrase lube the truth, we explained it in last week's episode. Check it out. I thought you thought I was going to tell you. Um, uh, the big story Thursday. All right, I'll tell you. <laughs> lube the truth. Uh, you want to do it? Sure. Yeah. So lube the truth. You cover the truth lubing. Yes, truth lubing. Uh, it's a concept where I they... think you even expanded it to truth finger blasting. <laughs> yes, oh. truth. Yeah. <laughs> To make it all encompassing, you know, so lubing the truth is basically, as we know, these people, Giuliani, Trump, that whole caravan of idiots, they um, they lie, uh, withhold the truth. And then when it starts to look like Mueller and company is starting to get the truth out, they try to get ahead of the truth by actually going back on their word, usually on national media appearances, and then dropping little truth bullets just of uh mm. Oh, you're going to hear this, so we're going to tell you now. We, oh, yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you, we did say that. Yeah, that's what we've always said, even though they didn't always say that at all. It reminds me of a commercial from the 90s. There was this dog treat called Snossages, and this little dog would just poke his head up out of nowhere and just go, Snossages, and then, like, go back down. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. Giuliani. Snossages. Right, <laughs> right. And then it's all in this effort to make the, the devastating blow of the truth less shocking to the base, mm -hmm. thus allowing everyone to carry on collusion as usual. Collusual. I, I think it works on a psychological level, right? Even those of us that know the truth and believe the truth, we still find ourselves kind of jaded a little bit. And can you imagine how people that don't even believe the truth would f find that this is not a big deal? You know, yeah. like it's the figurative manifestation of lubing something up, mm -hmm. like gears or ball bearings. You right. guys, it does not do have, have to, to be, be phallic, right? Okay. Although that, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> not gonna go there. Different podcast, different day. The big story Thursday came from McClatchy. I love McClatchy. Um, some people are like, ooh, they're sketchy. Uh, but 
they've not been wrong. None of their stories, their huge reporting, not been wrong. So the, this report came from McClatchy. They reported that cell signals put Michael Cohen outside Prague around the time of the purported Russian meeting that was reported in the Steele dossier, according to four sources. Four sources, Trump, not just one anonymous source. <laughs> uh, basically, a cell phone registered to Michael Cohen pinged towers in the Prague area in late summer 2016, leaving an electronic record to support the claims that Cohen met with Russian officials as outlined in the dossier. Cohen continues to deny he was in Prague. He actually, um, Scott Dworkin and Jennifer Taub, both past guests, like came at him on Twitter and they're like, what, 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 have you ever been in Prague ever in your whole life, anywhere in the Czech Republic ever in ever? No. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but you told uh, Korn, David Korn, that you've been to Prague 14 years ago. So what? You know, exactly. can't get a story straight. The phone went on its own. <laughs> they are That's- called smartphones. That's what they're traveling now without us. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, those are co- some of the uh, theories that that um, we've talked about in in a lot of the interviews that we had today. Those will be coming out in bonus content episodes. But there's two things that could be going on here. First of all, it's the area of, of Prague. It's not Prague, and this could be a very t- age old Republican trick of semantics, right? Where he wasn't in Prague, but he was in Prague Minor, mm-hmm. right? And he's like, wasn't in Prague. Nope, wasn't me. Prague-ish. Yeah. You were Prague-adjacent. That makes a lot of sense. Like, I went back to um, Phoenix for the holidays, and my mom lives in Moon Valley, right, which is in Phoenix. But somebody would be like, did you go to Phoenix? Nope. Hmm. Because in my head, I'm like, I was in Moon Valley, bitch. Yeah. And that would make sense for Cohen to do that. I wasn't just, in Prague. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just right outside. And and that's where the triangulation came from. Yeah. Um, and the other is that his phone was there without him or a phone registered in his name was there without him. Because as we know, when Cohen's shit was raided, his hotel, his uh, home and his offices um, by the FBI this past April, I think. can't remember. It's been a long time. Uh, they confiscated 16 burner phones. That's right. <laughs> which leads me to believe Cohen doesn't understand how burner phones work. Like, you're supposed <laughs> to get rid of them after. <laughs> he hoards them. <laughs> so he could have um, been responsible for the burner phones for the Trump team. Uh, and he put them in his name. Another smart move. And uh, maybe it was Junior or Ivanka that w- was over there or somebody else was sent to make these payments and, oh. and had these burner phones with them. But the Russian intelligence, they call it um, uh, SIGINT and HUMINT, which is signal intelligence and human intelligence, says that Eastern European intelligence agencies picked up and intercepted conversations between Russians, Russian to Russian, that Cohen was in Prague. And that's what led them to investigate the cell phone tower pinging and all that other oh, stuff. Oh, snap. According to these sources, four, four yeah. sources. <laughs> well, I, I, those are all compelling theories, like him being Prague adjacent, him not being there, but being in charge of the burners. Any of them would make him more complicit. Yeah, but you can put beans on the fact, and I put beans on this. Uh, I guess this is conjecture but, conjecture, but you can put beans on it. A phone registered to Michael Cohen was in Prague in the summer of 16, 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. that's what it is. Bottom line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, how, who, what was surrounding it? How that happened? We'll find out. I don't know. Yeah, I saw. I an, think he was there. Mm-hmm. I saw an interesting theory on Twitter that was basically Mueller knows everything, but Cohen isn't. They're not divulging anything explicitly, so they don't throw off the trail of any other investigations that are going on. Basically. I, I like that theory, but I also have an issue in that if Mueller had asked Cohen not to say anything, he wouldn't say no. 
He would just say nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay. He wouldn't say, he certainly wouldn't say, I can't confirm or deny my visits or not visits. Because you went if you said that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't see Mueller telling anyone to lie to the public. Right. I think the burner phone being in someone else's hands is most probable. That's what my beans are on. Yeah. Mm. And another weird theory I heard, too, is that uh, in like some sort of weird foldering attempt where you put a message into a phone shut it down, send it somewhere, and have it open it up and read the message so that it's not sent um, through, you know, interweb radio waves. How is it? Light? Traveling light? Travels on the speed of light? I have no idea. (laughs) Travels on a beam of light. I'm intrigued. Uh, No, but so you know it doesn't uh, hit any uh, internet. Towers or whatever? Or, you know, internet um, IP addresses. Okay, You can't follow it. Yeah, yeah. But then that would mean that Cohen forgot to put it in airplane mode so that when the phone was opened and turned on, it pinged a cell tower. Like you're supposed to, if you do that, you're supposed to put it in airplane mode so that it doesn't go bing, bing, I'm here. Right. Either way, he, he messed up. But the Russians say, and Steele says, that he was there. And so I kind of think he was there. Yeah. I mean, what would Russia gain from saying that he was there when he wasn't besides just chaos, which I guess is a good enough reason for that's them. That's the thing they do. So oh, yeah. yeah. That's their favorite. Mm-hmm. That's their favorite. It's chaos, my favorite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> iPhone should change airplane mode to committing crimes mode. <laughs> there you go. Spy mode. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ping a tower. Press CC mode. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, let's see. What else do we have? Thursday, uh, a disturbing new report came out of the Mueller investigation in a filing to the court by Concord Management. That's one of the Russian entities indicted by special counsel this year. The filing alluded to a nude selfie collected by Mueller and sent to the Russian entity during discovery. And I don't want to think about it. Um, in the, everyone's like, is it Butina? Is it the, is it Trump? I don't want to know. Uh. If it's Melania, we already seen that online. Yeah, <laughs> she wouldn't do that. She just give you a, she just give you a link. She would. She's proud. I love it. <laughs> uh, in the most recent motion, the lawyers for the Russians asked the judge to lift the order banning them from sending the discovery onto Russia. So the, the the Concord Management wants to get all the discovery they got from Mueller and send it to Russia. Uh, but the Thursday filing, the Russians opposed Mueller's request to provide classified information to the judge that would justify the restriction. So they wanted to send all the shit to all Mueller's shit to Russia. Mueller says, you provide me um, uh, classified information that would justify this restriction. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mueller's request states that releasing the information to the Kremlin would reveal our surveillance capabilities. So, you know, you can't do that. And that's how the nude selfie came up. <laughs> the lawyer for the Russian asked in the court filing, uh, how the, possibly could the methods of obtaining um, intelligence capabilities come up with a bunch of spam emails and nude selfies? How would that reveal intelligence secrets? And I'm sure Mueller will win this filing, so put put naked beans on that. But <laughs> for, for anyone really interested in who this naked photo is, it's probably just a person sending a dick pic to a Russian troll, guys. <laughs> There oh. has to be a joke in there somewhere, but like, because these <laughs> Russian trolls, they have accounts on social media, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that there are women or men who reach. I get dick pics on on the daily, and so <laughs> there have to be. If there's a female Russian, like with a pretty female Russian photo or a dog pup picture, which they use, yeah, and she's posting stuff about Trump, there's got to be some Trump a hole sending her dick pics. You mm-hmm. know, there's got to be some guy. In uh, York, Pennsylvania, for example, <laughs> right? I'm, sorry, I'm kidding. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> Sending it's, dick pics to these, they don't know they're Russians. Yeah. Right. Butina? It's like finding a hay in a haystack. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, yeah. I found a needle when all there was was a needle sitting in front of me. <laughs> a needle in a stack of one needles. It's very difficult. 
but yeah, that's that's probably all it is, guys. It's probably just some, um, and it doesn't. It's, it could be an American, might not be. It's just somebody who was communicating online with a Russian troll. We do it all day. We do it all the time, and yeah. he, they're like, "Ooh, I'm sending him a dick pic, or send him a naked picture of my boobies, or something," mm-hmm. and that's what happened. Oh, or another uh, Republican that might be caught up in some, you know, situation. It could be a Democrat, but all the Democratic stuff was released that was hacked. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if maybe there's like a Republican. No Democrat's going to send a Russian troll a naked selfie. Oh no! Just it, does it have to be sent to a Russian troll? Or does it have? It's from the all the stuff gathered from the Russian troll farm. Oh, all the documents gathered unless, from the Russian trolls. Unless they hacked a Republican that was sending nude selfies to someone. It's just so much more like a congressman style. <laughs> that could be if it's hackers, but these are trolls. These are people who sit at the internet oh, research the agency and hackers. have fake accounts and they're just interacting social, with people, interacting Got on social it. media. They're not as keen or, you know, like Guccifer type yeah, of, yeah. And they're acting like no one's ever sent a nude selfie to somebody they <laughs> right. talk to on social media. <laughs> That's There's right. probably a whole grip of fucking grip, a, yeah. a grip hook. <laughs> I know. Hey, 2012 wants its word back. Um, yeah. yeah, it could be like a closeted gay Republican Christian congressman, maybe. Could be yeah. Pence sending it to a mm-hmm. small boy Russian avatar. Could be Pence. I like your style. Check out my wiener. Yeah, and Mo- I wasn't thinking would grip be angry. as an old word. I, I forgot that it's an old word. I was thinking just as in dick pic, but I oh. I think that's worse actually. <laughs> yeah, you're actually probably too young to remember grip. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Anyway, dick pics, Russian trolls. We'll keep you posted. Can I'll I pour s- wine? Yeah, go for Sorry. it. Okay. Pour some wine. Oh, this is, oh, that was very kind of you to ask, though. You didn't want to get the sound in there. <laughs> I think it adds to the... The ambiance. It does. Thank you. Also Thursday, the idea of killing congressional salaries during a government shutdown was floated on social media. Basically... Um, there were people saying, you know, if we have a government shutdown, Congress shouldn't get their paychecks. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm against this. I haven't. I haven't. <laughs> I've biased. asked it. I put it out there. I've asked, you know, change my mind. You know, I, I'm open to arguments. I'm not trying to be a dick about it. Like some people are like, think that you're, you know, how you'd be like, change my mind. Fight me. No, I like I really if you have an argument, I'd I, love to hear it. I have it. one. A quick one if you want it. Yeah. Well, let me give yeah, you my yeah. theory first. For sure. Which is. As with all things, my mind, like I said, it can be changed with legitimate discourse. But personally, I believe that taking away congressional salaries would dis- disproportionately hurt Democrats. And here's why. The people Democrats would be trying to punish by not paying Congress during a shutdown are the ri- rich, tax-dodging, bourgeoisie, super PAC, Citizens United assholes. And those people would then have leverage over the newer, younger members of Congress who don't have as much money, who haven't sold out. Um, and who don't have like 12 shell companies and a Cypriot bank account full of laundered <laughs> money during budget negotiations. And I realize that um, Ocasio-Cortez is advocating for this, too, because she's saying it's the principle of the thing. But I personally think, and I could be wrong, again, change my mind, we need to stop enacting philosophical and principled ideals that hurt Democrats politically. I'm not saying take NRA money, you know, but I'm saying let's not strip congressional salaries from a group of people mostly um, young Democrats in the name of doing the right thing. And I can be talked out of this. I can. I can be talked off the ledge if you can present an argument. So, Jaleesa, what's your argument? Yeah, and I love the points you made. I never considered that because I just don't have that understanding of government like you do. But I I do still feel like people fundamentally would do more, even if they're on the right side of it, to do more to fix the issue 
if their paychecks were on hold. <laughs> I think it's more of like a, a basic survival thing. Yeah, they would. But the problem is, is that the people who don't care if they lose the money mm-hmm. are usually Republicans. Yeah, and really rich, and they have all this money from other places. And that disproportionately affects, negatively disenfranchises mm-hmm. younger Democratic Congress people. Uh, right. And what could the Republicans do with this money, too? Because that's where money in politics is important to, like, um, to, to, I guess, fix, right? Like, the idea is that they shouldn't be allowed to use that extra money in any way that's effective towards the policy. But that's a whole different issue, I guess, right? The, the idea of having so much money as a, a rich Republican or even a rich Democrat and then using that to influence politics. Like, that's a, a, an issue in itself, right? Well, they aren't using the money they have to influence politics. What they're doing is they're saying, you can take away my congressional salary. I don't care because mm. I'm a zillionaire. Mm-hmm. That makes You can sense. have my $174,000 a year, $3,300 a paycheck after taxes. I DGAF. Okay. And that way, the Democrats who do care... Because, you know, they all, that's their salary mm-hmm. and they don't have all this money, Yeah, don't have that leverage. And it would give leverage to rich people who don't care if the government is shut down, like, right. much like Trump doesn't care if the government is shut down. That makes sense. And to that, I'll just say they seem like they already don't care, right? Like they already don't seem too faced by the shutdown because because of that fact, right? Well, so you're not taking their salaries away. Right, but it's such a small dent in their income that I think they don't care either way. It so wouldn't sway them. It might just sway the Democrats more, which it sucks to think that it would be affecting the people that are on the right side of the that issue. the Democrats never want to shut down the government. They never do. That's the point. But I think... You're only giving leverage to people who don't care and want to shut the government down or don't care if the government gets shut down. Are all the Republicans that rich? There might be a couple of them. I'm hoping at least. Now I'm just like spitballing, but I feel like there there might be some that would be swayed to do more. But I can I see the problem with that. It's tricky. It's very hypothetical, all, like you said. No, probably not. However, a disproportionate amount. Just like yeah. when you try to say that you have to have an ID to vote, mm-hmm. there are black people with IDs, right? But a disproportional am- amount of Democrats do you know lose yeah. when that happens right. it's effective you're right so it's not like a yeah of course not all you know mm-hmm, but uh, enough more than enough probably yeah and more tipped toward one side that makes it unfair yeah institutionally the requirement to be in congress in the beginning was to be a white landowning man so i think that's definitely still continued <laughs> to pervade yeah yeah, it's, yeah. It's tough yeah i i'm pretty pretty on the fence about that it's interesting thinking essential government employees are required to work still um, that are essential to the functioning or dysfunctioning of the government (laughs) in this case Um, so on principle i can see 100 percent the argument that especially since people are seeing that it's congress's fault for the reason that this is being held up because they could just concede Mm -hmm. to border funding and you know obviously it's much more complicated than that I get why people would call for that. You said Ocasio-Cortez is against or is for not getting paid? Yeah. She wants to take away salaries. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think the Democrats strategically. Because of the principle. Right. The principle. Exactly. But I'm PR wise. It's a little doormatty. Right. How how so? Because I I feel like she's the most affected, right? She's already kind of poor going in. Like she's a good example of someone who you think would be effective, but doesn't mind, right? What do you mean by doormatty, I guess, um, is what I'm asking. The Democrats are saying, I'm going to make this high philosophical thing for you. It's mm-hmm. going to disproportionately affect Democrats and the American people negatively, but I'm going to do it for for good for good and right reasons when you don't have to. Um, and that is a problem I've had with Democrats for a while now. Yeah, the not having to is a good point. I, I feel like, well, then why are we at this position? Is it Trump? Is it is it, you know, the, the Republican, you know, 
body of Congress, like I feel like who's responsible then? Like well, if, for this shutdown, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, Trump's responsible for this shutdown. So thousand percent. So he's the problem, and we shouldn't freeze every you know Congress's paychecks. We should get rid of Trump. Is what you're getting at ultimately? Like the problem. No, seems- I'm just saying I don't think you should freeze Congress's paychecks because it. There are people who work in Congress who need those paychecks, and those people are the ones who don't want to shut down the government. Right. Yeah, I, I get to why that's. Again, I have no official stance. Normally, I love having unsubstantiated mm-hmm. opinions. Yeah, no, it's but, okay to be on the fence. But uh, yeah. like I said, I could be wrong. I, I can be talked given. You know, I can be talked out of this. Right. By anyone on I'm Twitter. just curious what the solution would be then, too. And I'm sorry, Jordan, I interrupted you. That's okay. You can go ahead and finish your thought. Too. Um, I mean, I I think on on the principle of it, Democrats do typically tend to appeal to a more higher moral standard in the hopes that that's going to pay off exactly. And this, which, like you said, it kind of doesn't sometimes. And when you say doormatty, sorry, you mean... You're handing a, uh, you're basically, for a philosophical ideal, you're handing an advantage over to yes, the Republicans. Totally. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, yeah, it, it further works to sort of subordinate their own power. But mm-hmm. I don't know if people, PR-wise, are smart enough to look at that and see that dynamic. Instead, I think they would more be drawn to the moral appeal sort of democrats at least right yeah yeah the people that are against the funding for the border wall Mm -hmm. and because then yeah there's i mean moral appeal is something that citizens also you know have going on their own brain too so i'm sure there's a lot of government employees that are also like i'm down to not take pay so that they can keep this at a stalemate until you know hopefully this does not come to a head in the way that trump wants it to Mm -hmm. here's another um example to sit out on voting because the candidate that has been elected in the primary to represent your party doesn't agree with you 100% on all of the issues. And so you're going to sit out and not vote um, and, and because that's your moral high ground. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, Trump gets elected, children die, people die in Syria, um, mm. gay people don't get their rights. Uh, you know, like right. it's like... You make a valid point. The money does make a difference yeah. when, it's been, when it's frozen the, like that. The ultimate mm-hmm. solution is to get fucking money out of politics that's right. the ultimate, and put put some term limits in Congress. Those are the two ultimate solutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a way far-fetched idea. Let's not take away government salary until we have a system where everything would still be fair if that were taken away during a shutdown. Yeah. yeah. Government shutdown should totally stop happening. I used to think that it was supposed to happen because it happened so frequently as I kind of grew up. But then I realized it doesn't have to happen. Like you were saying, this never has it's to a happen. a very new trend over the last it's, like decade. Yeah. I it's feel like we're new. so young now that like just growing up is like five years ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, it's a total it's a total bluffing tactic that people mm-hmm. have just taken to the line over and over again. And Trump came in at the worst goddamn time because this was happening in o- the Obama era. So now he gets to just come in and do that and see it through. Yeah. yeah, and he, he doesn't understand what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck. Absolutely or, not, or to be in a, uh, in that kind of situation. In fact, he put out a thing that says, "Hey, if you, here's a letter to give to creditors, if you can't pay your bills, just talk to your personal lawyer." Oh my and, goodness! And ev- everyone's like, "Fuck my off. personal lawyer, <laughs> my public lawyer. We don't have that. Can I borrow <laughs> Cohen? Like, yeah, yeah what exactly. personal yeah. lawyer yeah. are you talking about?" And he just is no concept of it. So he's like, "Shut it down. I don't care." He and then really- he actually came out and said, "These are mostly Democrats affected anyway." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at that point, he's not even talking to us anymore. <clears throat> I think he's just like talking to his his own people, and and I get it. You know, like he he doesn't care. Like you said, he's so disconnected from reality. He doesn't even care to be connected it could even be nefarious like a killing two birds with one stone thing where he gets to screw over democrats and blue collar people by doing this yeah that's a very good point i bet he loves that Mm, i think he lives for it 
anyway, thank you for letting me get that opinion out there. And again, like I said, I, I, I've formulated this in my head and I could be wrong. I just don't feel like handing an advantage to Republicans uh, for a philosophical high ground is worth it at this point, at this juncture. Yeah, uh, maybe when we've got uh, a Democratic Senate and a Democratic president, then yeah, you know, do some <laughs> philosophical shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but not right now. Uh, finally, Thursday, Bloomberg reported that by naming Whitaker acting attorney general, Trump's ban on bump stocks is null and void. Uh, recently, this is an assertion, by the way, it's not the truth. Recently, the Trump administration moved to ban bump stocks. Um, that's a thing you put on your gun to make it fire more rapidly. Uh, and Bloomberg's John Steingart says that the Justice Department can't ban bump stocks because Matthew fucking Whitaker lacks the authority to hold the position. Um, that's his reporting. Uh, this is part of a lawsuit filed December 26th, day after Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and it's one of a bunch of lawsuits challenging Justice Department decisions based on the fact that Whitaker is illegitimate. Um, oddly, this is coming from a lawsuit filed by the right-wing group Firearms Policy Coalition. So how fucking hilarious is this? Gun rights fuckfaces are <laughs> suing to stay the ban on bump stocks because they say Trump's pick for acting Attorney General Matthew Whitaker shouldn't have been put there. It's how ironic would it be if the lawsuit that booted Whitaker was a gun rights organization? <laughs> um, I would laugh so hard in Trump's stupid face if this <laughs> resulted in the removal of Whitaker, knowing the ironic deliciousness of Trump, who was beholden to the NRA and gun rights advocacy for funneling Russian money into his inaugural fund. If he lost his anti Mueller walking dildo over a lawsuit filed by a gun rights organization would be so amazing. Uh, I can't wait to see what happens in this case. Uh, because who knows how long Whitaker will be acting AG. We know he's got a seven-month limit. Um, if any of the other courts and lawsuits he's embroiled in find him fit uh, to be there constitutionally. But even Trump's new pick for AG, Bill Barr, might not get confirmed unless he recuses himself from the Mueller probe, <laughs> which would no doubt make Trump's butthole pucker, because recusal from Mueller oversight is the entire reason he fired Sessions to begin with. Um, not to mention the bump stock ban is the first time since the Brady bill, I think, that anyone came for your guns and it's a friggin' Republican. I can't get enough of this story. Yeah. yeah. I w sorry. Go ahead, oh, Jonesa. no, I was just going to say there's been so many shootings like more and more each year that, yeah, if a republic is in power in 2018, they're going to have to answer to that. Right. I think the NRA's funding, it 100% is going down. I heard that they're almost going bankrupt, whatever the fuck that means for them. <laughs> Fucking rich-ass motherfuckers. Low on bullets. Yeah. <laughs> they've only got a billion dollars left. Right. <laughs> so I wonder if it's one of those things where banning bump stocks they've calculated is something that they need to do in order to retain the support that's necessary to keep going forward. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're going against Clever. them not being able to push that through. Because they're in like dire straits right now. Well, I brought this up a couple weeks ago. I can't remember. But the, uh, somebody, it might not have been on this show, but they're like, they're banning bump stocks. Yeah. And I'm like, big fucking deal. Um, th I'm sorry. Yes, it'll help. Um, no, it's not going to stop mass shootings. It's not enough. Um, you need to ban assault rifles. Uh, and that's just how it goes. Mm -hmm. uh, Brady Bill. We need that back in, back in action. They, it lapsed and we need to redo it. Um, so I've always been like, banning bump stocks, I guess it's it's like a... It's like you're like, please stop killing people. And they go, here, have some cake instead. And you're like, oh, cake's good. Yeah. You know, and we're Thank supposed you. to be sated by this bump stock ban. Um, and so it might have been a situation where they're like, we got to throw them a bone. Like you said, either to continue um, funding coming into the NRA and donations coming into the NRA because normal people are like, can we just get rid of bump stocks? Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's like saying, uh, you know what, we're going to ban uh, nuclear weapons 
for use for purchase at Walmart. And you're like, oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, good sir. Right. You know? And I think the best part, like Jordan was saying, was the best part, but the most effective part would be to rally up the base through anger about it, right? Like you were saying, just because they're like, oh, they're taking away our guns, even though they're really not. And then they start donating to the NRA because they're they're scared, right? Like Yeah, but base. With, with a Republican in office. Exactly. That's fucking hilarious. Yeah, because for eight years, they were like, Obama's going to come for your guns. And he never did. He never banned a goddamn thing. Yeah. And now yeah. here we are in the Trump era. He's banning bump stocks, which, by the way, isn't taking away your guns right uh, but you know now they're like oh it's just it's funny to me and and I, they'll probably kind of move the goalposts republicans and gun rights activists be like well they're just bump stocks they're not actual guns so right. mm-hmm. you're like whatever it's a testament to how big that organization is too because typically people aren't subject to getting pulled more to the left you know that's usually something that's reserved for like political representatives usually lobbyists get to be very pointed and they get to stay on their course but they're so big now they're privy to the entire like the hundreds and millions and millions of people that are their base they're losing money they're going under desperate desperate what's it like hmm. i don't know it just makes me happy oh yeah it's the best it's, it's the best. Um, then Friday, Politico published a piece saying lawyers for Trump are invoking the government shutdown to delay an emoluments case against Trump in the D.C. and his D.C. hotel. The government's brief in this case is due January 22nd, but Department of Justice lawyers have asked to table the case during the shutdown, which gives Trump a really weird incentive to keep the government shut down for as long as he can. The case is on hold indefinitely. Um, we had poked Trump on Twitter to remind him that the shutdown does not affect the Mueller probe. Remember, we were like, hey, just want to let you know Mueller's funded through next year. But knowing the shutdown prevents the emoluments case from moving forward could provide the reasons Trump backed this shutdown in the first place. And how long does he think he can keep this up the rest of his presidency? That's ridiculous. Like he must. He's desperate. Like you were saying, he's desperate in a And they're all complicit, too. Yeah. Well, the, the shutdown, um, 800,000 employees are either furloughed or not being paid. Um, 32%, 31.8% of the workforce, that was two years ago, it's probably more by now, are veterans. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just another reason he loves veterans. I'm sure we have listeners, too, that fall into those categories. Mm-hmm. So thank you for still working and doing those essential Definitely. jobs, even yeah. though you're not getting paid because of this fucking idiot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I re- actually would love to hear those stories. Sto- yeah, I was just going to say, I was reading on Reddit people's testimonies, and someone said that they, uh, they're they a prison guard, and their wife is a prison guard, too, and they're just sick of every year or few months getting their p- paychecks frozen. And at first, they were blaming the whole Congress. They're like, screw Democrats and Republicans. And then Reddit was like, actually, it's the Republicans. And they were like, oh, my bad. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, they had to be informed. But a lot of people are too busy. They're just working their jobs to know exactly who's at fault for this and who's really driving this and who needs to be driven out because of it i think they're just thinking that politics is like you know they want to be jaded to it all but just watch the video on december 11th of trump saying i'll own the shutdown i'll shut down the government Mm -hmm. i'm so glad they got that on camera (laughs) yeah chuck grassley was like oh did you just fucking say that it's so important and i didn't even know how important it was at the time i was like it's just trump being loud and obnoxious but i see now that they needed that to be public because it's a big deal yeah and to add insult to injury trump signed an executive order this week um freezing raises Remember that cost of living raise that I talked about? Mm-hmm. 2.6% last year, 2.8% the year before that? Right. 0% this year. January 1st, none of us get raises. What? So to add insult to injury, January 11th, they will stop getting paychecks if they're furloughed or um, working for no pay. And they, do not, they don't get their raise January What was 1st. his justification for that? Uh, we can't afford it. Oh, my goodness. Uh, $1 trillion deficit because of the tax cuts for corporations and the rich. 
uh, but we can't afford a 26 2.5 2.8% pay raise for federal employees which they usually Always. get every year. Yeah. yeah. Now Obama froze um, the pay raises for a while when he took over uh, as president because the economy was in such a shit show. He had to start, he had to get revenue <clears throat> into the coffers. He couldn't yeah. afford anything, basically. He was trying to find money anywhere. So we were actually mm-hmm. broke then, you're saying. <laughs> and, the government, and the government employees were like, it's a recession, man. It's cool. We're just happy to have a job. You know, mm-hmm. we're happy to basically give that 2% back to the country right now so that we can survive this recession, the great yeah. recession. Uh, we're in a boom Right now, uh, Trump touts the economy all the time is super great. The tax cuts they gave to themselves. I'm so pissed off right now. <clears throat> it's really coming home to roost. It's mm. like they thought it would pay for itself by now, right? Or, oh, yeah. yeah. That was the argument that, wow. yeah, that they had in Paul Ryan's office. Dude, let's go to the Capitol now. <laughs> what are we talking? I'm so mad. So he shut down the government. He's not paying 800,000 people, sending them home or making them work for free. And he's taking their raise away on January 1st, signed that executive order. This was a decision he actually made last August and we reported on it, but he signed the executive order this week. Sounds like how he runs his companies, probably. Yeah. Seriously, we're going bankrupt because of him and we don't need to. And then finally on Friday, Trey Gowdy and uh, good lot, bad lot, uh, <laughs> officially closed closed the investigations into the Mueller investigation (laughs) and the Hillary email investigation closed officially. Just so you're aware, the Republicans investigated Hillary for the low, low price of $100 million over the last four years uh, in Benghazi and email probes. And they netted zero indictments, zero felony charges, zero asset forfeiture and zero convictions. The Mueller probe has made money when you factor in the asset forfeiture, a net of at least 15 million. And that's not if you count if you don't count Malaysia, we've got a $250 million yacht. Uh, if you count that. And he has uh, 38 indictments with 200 felony charges. And I bet Republicans are tired of all that winning. Oh, my God. So, you guys, cheers. The email, Hillary email investigation is officially closed. Yeah. Ding, ding. You guys, we'll be right back. Hey, Mueller junkies. I have heard that Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So this year, for my New Year's resolution, I didn't want to just lose weight. I actually wanted to change my lifestyle. Do you know what I mean? I didn't want to, I didn't want to just do a thing, because I've done this a million times. I, it's easy to, to just lose weight, right? Mm-hmm. But it always comes back. Right. Keeping it off. Yeah, so I'm, I'm trying something new. You guys should try it, too. It's Noom. It's, it's like a fitness coach, a food tracker, a step counter, and a nutritionist all on the palm of your hand just from the app. Um, it's not a diet. Like I said, it's a lifestyle change. It's focused on self-care, which we're really big on here, and uh, psychology. So there's no guilt and there's no shame because we all, you know, we make mistakes, but they don't consider them mistakes. Absolutely. They give you even little pro tips sometimes day by day. They have these cool little exercises and you read articles that are really helpful and they really go into the psychology of making a sustainable change and they help you think of what your ultimate goal is something that's not just i want to lose weight it's why do you want to be healthier mm-hmm. and yeah and so that you have like a super big goal and then like mini goals to get there and, and they teach you how to set realistic goals so that you don't keep letting yourself down basically i don't know it's just really wonderful i've been using it for about uh two weeks and the interface is super friendly 
Um, it's amazing. I love the food tracker. They make it really simple to, to log your food. Definitely. And there's also a step counter integrated into the app. So it actually adds the calories back onto your calorie budget for you that you can eat if you've walked a lot that day. Yeah. And there's a little do more where you can add any exercise that you've done that day. So that way, if you, you know, like we say, you know, listen to the pod, get on the elliptical, you burn 700 calories. You put that in there, you get 700 more calories for the day. Yeah. Uh, it's really, I, just, I, I really like it. It's working really well so far. Same. It makes it like a game. It makes it a lot more fun than just, okay, don't eat and exercise a lot. It right. totally changes the game. So Noom is designed for results. So meet your New Year's resolution by signing up for your trial today at Noom. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash A-G. What do you have to lose, right? Visit Noom.com slash A-G to start your trial today. Again, that is Noom.com slash A-G and start losing weight for good. All right. Welcome back. Hot notes. Yay, hot notes. Uh, today, Jordan is going to give us the latest on Rudy Giuliani and his Lube the Truth tour. But first, Jaleesa, you have some news. What did the New York Times uncover regarding Trump's feet? Oh, yes. I love that. Very dramatic. On Wednesday. <laughs> In a world. Yeah. The foot porn nobody wants to buy. Oh, God. Exactly. Oh, no. <laughs> so on Wednesday. <laughs> no. Whenever you're ready. I'm sorry. It's Trump. But- no, it's hilarious. All right. On Wednesday, the New York Times published an article called Did a Queen's Podiatrist Help Donald Trump Avoid Vietnam? And the short answer is most likely yes. But uh, here's the article. So we've reported in previous episodes how after using up all of his four education deferments, Trump was conveniently diagnosed with bone spurs in his heels, thus providing him with the medical exemption from the military during the Vietnam War. And for 50 years, the details of this medical exemption have been very mysterious. Even Trump couldn't remember which foot it was on or which doctor he went to. But this week, we have a lead on a possible explanation, and it involves a foot doctor in Queens who rented his office from Trump's dad, Fred Trump, which hints at a possible squid pro quo. So the podiatrist was... I didn't know he rented his office from Fred Trump. Yeah. So he's a white guy. Well, that was a given. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Did I say the name yet? Okay, wait. The podiatrist was Dr. Larry Bronstein. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely white. Oh, yeah. Who died more than 10 years ago. Bummer. Yeah. But his daughters... I feel bad. Yeah, no, it's okay. His daughters are, are, you know, carrying the legacy on of Trump's lies. Legacy. (laughs) The footacy. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. That was quick. That was. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. So the daughters now say that their dad... Kicking callbacks. <laughs> I love it. The daughters now say that their dad often told them the story of how he came to quote a young Mr. Trump's aide during the Vietnam War as a favor to his father. And one of the daughters, Dr. Elisa Bronstein, said that her father implied that Trump did not actually have a disqualifying foot ailment. Go figure. She also said that what her dad got in return for helping Did he put it in his calendar? Oh, that's a good question. We right? need to get these count. I bet uh, Mueller has After Beach Week, like when he hung out with Squee? Yeah, foot day. Does he have it in his foot, calendar? Foot that's doctor what I day. Know. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> she also said that what her dad got in return for helping Donald Trump was access to Fred Trump. She said, quote, if there was anything wrong in the building, my dad would call and Trump would take care of it immediately. That was the small favor that he got. Wow. So he was actually a good landlord. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, illegally. So, yeah. Yeah. You only had to help evade a draft for your son. <laughs> yeah, scratch my back. So the Bronstein family also suggested that there was some involvement by a second podiatrist named Dr. Manny Weinstein. But unfortunately, Weinstein died in 1995, and no paper evidence has been found to help corroborate the family's versions of events. However, the city directory show that Weinstein did live in two Brooklyn apartments owned by Fred Trump, and it also shows that he moved into the first apartment during the year Donald Trump received his medical exemption. In, an, in a 2016 interview, Trump said that a doctor provided, quote, a very strong letter about the bone spurs in his hills, which was presented to the draft officials. However, in that same interview, Trump failed to mention any connection between his father and the doctors involved. And of course, the White House refused to make Trump available for a follow up interview or respond to the written questions about his service record. Why send Trump written questions? <laughs> what, what are you trying to get? So the interesting thing about the New York Times reporting on this is that they are the ones that seem to be slowly building this case about Fred Trump illegally using his wealth and privilege to assist his son. We've seen it with their article about how Fred illegally helped Trump with the casinos, now with the Vietnam War draft. And a lot of people are speculating on this, you know, or have been for a while, but I just love how the New York Times is like coming really hard with the facts. They just, you know, they seem to really have the whole picture. Foot facts. Foot facts, yeah. Hashtag. This week on Foot Facts. (laughs) On Trump TV. So a fellow doctor named Alec Hochstein these guys, <laughs> are they all related? Who worked with Dr. It's Bronstein. York. It's New York, you're right, yeah, yeah. So uh, this guy worked with Dr. Bronstein in the late 1990s, and he said that he, quote, or Bronstein, quote, spoke very highly of the Trumps because they were very open to negotiating with him and letting him stay in the space at a rent he was comfortable with. That's good. Yeah, I like doctors that negotiate. That's totally. not terrifying at yeah. all. <laughs> and then Trump's dad, like, obviously, he's not like this kind-hearted, generous guy that's just like, yeah, man, whatever works for you. Do podiatrists have to take the Hippocratic Oath? That's funny. That's I don't I don't know if they do. Probably yes. I, I mean, would imagine they're doctors, right? I I guess you got to go to medical school and then get a podiatry specialty, right? Yeah. yeah. Do you just like swear to protect the? Maybe foot? he's like you know I could swear to do no harm. Uh, maybe he thought uh, keeping him out of Vietnam is the best way. Oh, to... <laughs> yeah, they're funny. like, trust me, if my son goes, he's just going to use everyone like a human shield. <laughs> it's like when my fat cat gets outside. <laughs> he secretly he's saved the world. He's going to get his ass kicked. You can't yeah. defend yourself, buddy. Come on. You weigh 25 pounds. Stay inside. Oh, that's a good point. Uh, so just to wrap it all up. <laughs> Come on, buddy. You weigh 239 pounds. Stay inside, buddy. You don't want to go over to Vietnam. <laughs> Poor thing. Uh, so Bronze Tenant Bitch Tits. <laughs> bitch Tits. That's my cat's name, but it's we can call Trump endearing. that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bronstein's daughters said that his role in Trump's military exemption was something their relatives and friends would always discuss because at first her father was proud that he had helped a famous guy, but later the lifelong Democrat and World War II vet grew tired of Donald Trump's reality TV nonsense. <laughs> so also something interesting from this article uh, is that Bronstein's daughters suggested that a possible explanation for Dr. Weinstein's involvement, the second doctor, and the exemption is that he had some connection to the draft itself. Like maybe he was one of the guys on the board that finalized the exemption. Mm. So that's what they're speculating. Mm-hmm. Just as so the yeah. there was a podiatrist on the draft mm-hmm. board who decided who had who could not go. Exactly. Yeah. Huh. 
Yeah. Wow. I like that Trump's reality TV was the thing that really set that guy yeah, off. Not if the only he was draft. alive for the presidency. <laughs> Jesus. And, but it wasn't the draft dodging. World War II veteran. Right, right. Yeah. That it wasn't exactly. the draft. Although I will say that I feel like, but I'm not sure because I wasn't really, I wasn't alive at the time. I was dead at the time. Um, <laughs> the World War II veterans uh, didn't see Vietnam as like a quote unquote real war, you know? Oh. So maybe they were like, yeah, I'll help you not go to Vietnam. What a bullshit piece of shit war right or he's seen the war the horrors of the war and he's like or, i'm gonna spare you yeah either true. way illegal i'm saving lie. his life right mm-hmm. like do no harm that's his that's maybe the way he i can saw see it. that logic and he also was a democrat and trump was a democrat at the time so this you know the whole camaraderie unfortunately people forget trump was a democrat i know yeah he probably thought this was like a good chap back when democrats kicked black people out of apartment buildings <laughs> yeah, you know classic mm-hmm. those were the days yeah <laughs> classic trump chameleon yeah. oh yeah but so not th- as majestic. Oh no, <laughs> not with the eyes that go different directions. <laughs> yeah, is that the bird that box creature is that really oh, creepy? I, I haven't seen bird box. I haven't so seen it good. either. They never show the creature. I thought it was some weird thing that we, was we, we were going to advertise for. Like, oh. yeah, I had a tweet today that was like, today I learned that bird box is not a live bird monthly subscription yeah. service. <laughs> Exactly. That's great. I've seen that tweet like a million times. I love it. By oh no! I have box. to delete it. Now I'm a hack. Oh yeah, that's an old one. That's, oh no, I didn't know a, that. That's good week old or so. Oh, oh man, man. Oh. damn, they're too quick for All us. All right, deleting it now. <laughs> I will not be a goddamn hack. Well, wait, was the person who tweeted? Oh wait, I don't know if the person who it tweeted was been more Jordan. famous. Oh, oh well, definitely someone way. else. Okay, <laughs> I'm deleting it. We'll I'm kidding. We don't, we don't, we don't do it by fame. Okay, it's gone now. <laughs> we do everyone. it by who did it. First. I liked it though, Jordan. Hey, great minds think alike. It's right? a good Thank joke. You. Yeah, I mean, it is. I should have known it was too good to be true. <laughs> I hate that when you write a, the most beautiful joke and you're like, that has to be taken. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and then you Google it and it is. <clears throat> All right. Anyway, let's see. Um, yeah, I, I was wondering myself what what like what does the foot story have to do with Mueller? Right, and I think it's just connecting the lies the family has been have been covering up and just their their behavior. It seems because otherwise, I don't know what else. I do. What do you think? Mueller didn't dodge the draft. Oh, it's a personal thing. <laughs> it's personal. <laughs> you know, for me. okay. Fun fact about Mueller. It's personal. Something we haven't said on the show, I don't think, but I heard on the news this week is that Mueller actually did a, a medical examination. I think a year before he actually went went to war and they said that he had a knee issue that he had to get healed and he once it healed he went back to the doctor and said okay am i ready for war now he actually had a legit medical reason to not go but he still went he didn't even drag it out nope that's incredible i know someone that's such a badass i can't say because i don't know maybe it's not smart to say who it is whatever it doesn't fucking matter this person has a peanut allergy yeah and they've been lying the whole time about having a peanut allergy because they want to serve so badly. Oh. So they've been trying like like a, like a pretty bad peanut allergy. Not like they have peanuts and they immediately die, but it's they have like a whole fucking reaction and they carry an EpiPen and everything. Wow. And they've been slowly feeding themselves like peanut butter sandwiches over the course of their life, oh. trying to like desensitize themselves to yeah. the peanut allergy because he wants to serve and he does serve and he's a fucking badass. But anytime there's like peanuts in the MRE and stuff, he just has to like not eat it. I'm not hungry. And, yeah. But if they throw peanuts like the enemy, that is. Like- <laughs> I didn't know peanut allergy could keep you out of the military. Uh, for what he does. Okay, I think for the can. job that, yeah, for certain yeah. jobs. Like, you can't be colorblind and be a pilot, but you can be colorblind and be anything else. I think yeah. it's, it's like, yeah, the stuff that he's, so he's doing, he's on, like... farmer for the military. And, <laughs> You're right. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm just kidding. He's on, like, really small teams and stuff, yeah. and, and, and he's, like, uh, yeah, essential 
Okay. Basically, don't let ISIS what's find happening. out though. Well, right, and a lot of the MREs yeah. have nut products in them, so you have to be real careful. And yeah. so they just said, we're, "Yeah, I guess it's it just makes sense on these small special ops groups to not have anyone with a peanut allergy." Yeah, makes yeah. sense. But it's cool that he's still doing his thing, though. Oh yeah, he's yeah. a fucking badass. It's the opposite of Trump, right? Yeah. Totally. Yeah, that was yeah, that was the whole for education yeah, yeah, deferments yeah. and. F- like a bone spurt yeah yeah back to back education deferments and then he went with the medical thing I after want, yeah playing i want college football so yeah that's that story hmm. feet <laughs> foot facts yeah yes if you have a foot fetish you probably really were into that one for sorry i probably shouldn't they're very, they're very that. torn yeah they're torn politically I love feet but i hate trump <laughs> i don't want to see trump's feet i just there's so many other feet tiny feet man Right. Mm-hmm. right. Gotta be. How do you balance It's a sequel to Happy Feet. <laughs> Minus Robin Williams. That's why it's tiny. <laughs> and terrible. <laughs> That's why tiny and terrible. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jordan, you have a Giuliani update. Yes. So we learned this week from Giuliani himself in this interview that possible further questioning of Donald Trump by the special counsel's office is still being negotiated. So they're not only discussing the scope of further questioning, but they're just discussing if further questioning is going to happen at all. So no idea basically what is happening. Uh, When asked to confirm if it's his understanding that Mueller might wish to interview Trump over the phone or in person, Giuliani said, quote, it hasn't been formally closed yet and that loop hasn't been closed. So. All right. So they aren't so very open. Mueller's not satisfied. Basically, right. is what it boils down to. And I didn't think he would be when he got his answers back from the written questions. Because I knew that those written <laughs> answers were probably like, maybe I don't recall. Uh, perhaps, could be, I don't know for sure. Good night. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I, I'm sure that... Uh, and, and even if he did answer something, and the reason anyone would want a face-to-face interview is so you can a- ask follow-up questions, right? Because that's how the, you get to something. Oh, that's yeah. how investigations work. And this is just for collusion, conspiracy, aiding, and abetting. This has nothing to do with obstruction, right? Because he, he's uh, Mueller has said, I can't give you written mm-hmm. uh, questions for obstruction. I need to get to the intent, and I have to talk to you to, to get that. Yep. Um, yeah, exactly. So no dates have been set for anything officially. Uh, but obviously, this would be like a huge... <laughs> have you set a date? Yeah. <laughs> have you set up to save the oh dates? Oh, my God, yes. Mm. Save the dates. <laughs> Trump is being questioned by a grand jury. That'd be amazing. (laughs) Um, Obviously, it would be a huge deal if Trump was going to be questioned over the phone or in person specifically, because he has like a self-destruct timer that goes off after seven seconds of speaking in the flesh every time. It's like, I can't not lie. I have a truth disability. (laughs) Norman coordinates. Perjury trap. (laughs) Smoke comes out of his head. Yeah. (laughs) If only he was a robot. That fucking scientist would be so ashamed of himself. Mm-hmm. Or just like, this is amazing. <laughs> He's a Russian scientist. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, he made him watch like the blue collar comedy tour. And <laughs> is that a billing ball or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the president you Like get. Larry the Cable Guy, does he go with him or something? Yeah, Ron White, Larry the Cable Guy, Billing Fall, those guys. And then, you know, you uh, make, you remember, have you seen all the things where we watched, a, we made AI watch a thousand hours of Friends and write a Friends episode? No or, way. Like, yeah, this would be it. This That's would funny. Be that version of that. that we sent uh, AI to 17 rodeos and, no, actually I shouldn't barrel, I love rodeos. I used to barrel race. Uh, I can't think of a good thing. Anyway. Yeah. So. We, oh, watch, we watched a thousand hours of Fox News and mm, we came up with a president robot. Love that. I mean, I hate that, but <laughs> love that. Uh, 
yeah, and so just a reminder that earlier this month is when Giuliani said that Trump would sit for an in-person interview over his dead body. And, yeah, and yeah, and then added, but you know, I could be dead. So maybe we're just seeing the ghost of Giuliani now, thus giving him his new nickname, Giuliani. Yeah. Rudy Giuliani. Uh, so I was thinking, like, how likely is it that this interview is going to happen in person or over the phone? Well, CNN earlier this month reported that Mueller definitely wants the questioning to happen. Trump has been telling everyone in his inner circle that he hasn't made a decision yet, as if he really has a choice in the end. But Mueller will placate him for now, I think, and keep doing what he's doing. And Trump also said last month that his written answers to Mueller would probably be, quote, the end. Q judge saying, I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> I'll be the judge of that. Call back to last week. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I feel like... I. He, I think that if I were Mueller, I would subpoena him. And, and he actually, we, we did our uh, book club about fear by Bob Woodward, that last chapter or last chapter two. Uh, I think it was actually short chapter 42, where they were talking about, you know, I'm going to subpoena him. Mm-hmm. And then and Dowd just goes off on this weird. Right. He freaks the fuck out. Yeah. You can't. I'm going to show you. Mark my words. And he's yeah. like, calm down. Right. Calm down, Dowd. Yeah. Nice courtroom etiquette. He's like, uh, but, I, you know, I need to talk to him. So I wouldn't be surprised. And, and we did think that the secret subpoena battle was Trump for a minute. It's not. It's a um, foreign entity, uh, owned state-owned entity. But uh, I, I really think that Mueller's not going to be satisfied without a face-to-face interview with the president, particularly on obstruction. Absolutely. And, yeah, just like you said, because Mueller knows. Mueller's been watching him. He knows how he answers questions. This is the ideal environment to get a case. I won't even say to get a case against him because that would imply that Mueller has some sort of ideal outcome in mind. But yeah, Mueller just is, wants the truth. Yes. And He's not trying to trap him. He just wants the truth of it. And and I feel like Mueller would let something slip to get to the truth. Like he's not going to be like, oh, got you, got you, thousand one, thousand one. Right. Um, I feel like he'd be he his main motivation and his number one goal is to f- get to the truth of right. the intent, at least for obstruction. Definitely. And you're going to get and he knows this. You're going to get the most leads and the most information that is consequential when you just let Trump fucking vent therapy because he says so much shit. Giuliani that you can investigate. Do this every time you do a Giuliani update. You're like, first of all, Stephanopoulos hadn't asked him any questions, and yeah. he just comes out of the gate like he just offers it up. It's like, <laughs> all right, dude, thanks. Didn't even ask. <laughs> yeah, about that. Same thing with Lester Holt when Trump said he fired Comey for the Russia thing. He's like, didn't ask, but thanks for the info. Yeah, and speaking of Giuliani, on Wednesday he said, "quote Negotiations haven't formally ended yet." They haven't ended because it's not just my opinion that matters. There are other lawyers involved and the president of the United States, of course. My opinion is I don't trust them. I look at how they treated Manafort, Flynn, and Corsi. I love that he just listed off three criminals. Yeah, he listed off three criminals, two of which have already undergone sentencing proceedings. Uh, Flynn is to come next year. And I guess Corsi is a TBD criminal, but... (laughs) Is, I think we all know how that's, <laughs> we wow. all know how that's going to turn out. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know if he'll go Nunberg or not. Half Nunberg, full Nunberg. He, he, <laughs> I, going we full need something. We need we need Maya Wiley to speak to him. We just do. We need her to talk him off a ledge like oh, she yeah. did with Sam Nunberg. Yeah. She's an expert at that. She be one of her little credits now when she gets on those shows. She is. She's so good at that. Dude, she must have been so satisfied in that interview with Nunberg. 
Oh God! Just like this is fucking gold. <laughs> this is lawyer gold. We're like, yeah. this is comedy gold. She's like, this is legal gold. Yeah, yeah. so good. Legal commentator gold. Yep. All right. So well, thank it. you. Thank you for that reporting. You're um, more lube the truth. I'm sure there will be more next week. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right, sweet. You guys. For today's hot note, I have created a sweet 16 bracket for the top news stories of 2018. So it's time for Mueller Madness. All right, so I got it in my head on Thursday night that I was going to put together a bracket of the top. Like, I didn't know how to cover 2018. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go through. I'm going to find the top stories, what I think are the 16 top stories um, of 2018. And I did a little research based on data and shit like that to find out what were very popular stories. And I came up with the 16. And so we're going to go through these bracket by bracket. And if there's any fans out there who want to draw this bracket out um, for us, um, because I've got everything down uh, to the winner, which I haven't looked up yet. I'm just going to pull that up at the very last second. We can find out who the winner was. <laughs> nice. Um, and so, and I did it, I seeded them too. So whoever got more votes in the first round uh, went up against the least votes, went up against most, and then um, second least, second most, you know, back down the way that, the way they do it. Um, right. I don't know why. I just, because they make for better games. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> the first bracket was Butina. Uh, that's the, you know, the, uh, Russian Red Sparrow, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. <laughs> Slash Butina. Butina. <laughs> yeah. Butine. Uh, uh, that's Erickson's girlfriend. Um, so I want to talk about her indictment and plea agreement, right? And this is outside of the Mueller investigation, but it's part of the Russian investigation. So I included that. And she went up against um, the Russians being indicted. And to my surprise, Butina won. Yeah. I'm not surprised personally. You thought the Russians would be more important because... Because they laid out, it laid out in great detail all of the stuff about Russians. It told the country that Russia did, in fact, steal and mm-hmm. hack um, so that we were aware of that for the midterm election. It it laid out, it let us know how detailed and how much information Mueller can get about these guys. They had emails and addresses and home phone numbers and yeah. shit on these guys. I think uh, that story came out just earlier before everybody was as invested as they are when the Butina news came out. They mm-hmm. call that recency bias. Yeah. Oh, Ooh, I, I like that. that. Played a lot. I think that played a lot into it. Yeah, yeah. Butina's story was also just more like um, Hollywood, like the spy. Right. Yeah. So basically, she came in, infiltrated the NRA, got a bunch, like met Paul Erickson. Paul Erickson is the one who uh, fucked with Dearborn and Mashburn to mm-hmm. get the uh, RF uh, RNC platform. Fucked with. I fuck with that. <laughs> I'm trying to be hip. Yeah. Um, to get the RNC platform changed uh, to change the language on Ukraine, mm-hmm. um, basically to lighten it up on Russia a yeah. little bit. I was just laughing at their names. We had a whole riff about it when we did an episode on them. <laughs> Dearborn and Mashburn. Yeah. <laughs> They're hard names. It's like Dearborn. There's a born and a burn. Uh, so, yeah. So she's part of that. She also worked with the NRA. She brought over a group of people, uh, Republicans, over to Moscow um, from the NRA, including uh, Sheriff Clark. That's the... 18 pieces of flair sheriff mm-hmm. 31 31 pieces of flair <laughs> and um the guy from the outdoor channel and the current president and the future president and the past president of uh it sounds like a, a charles dickens story <laughs> of the nra <laughs> Ooh. and uh so that's you know we all know who Butina is right so mm-hmm. and then she recently had a gag order lifted on her case um and the government's objection was you shouldn't do that because just because Butina has a plea agreement and she's not going to have a jury trial. So, you know, I know that you're saying she, that her future jury can't be 
um, tainted by anything that comes out in the public, but she's helping us convict other people, Erickson, who could help us convict many other people. Mm-hmm. Who knows who? Dearborn, Mashburn. Yeah. Uh, and who else? Who knows who else? But, you know, they're like, those are future future jury trials. But the judge lifted the gag order. So Butina won that between Butina and the Russians being indicted. <laughs> Butina and the beast. I always think. <laughs> Butina and the beast. <laughs> Uh, then Manafort case. And when I say Manafort case, I mean his conviction, his uh, bail revocation. All of it. He had to go back to jail, his plea agreement, his blowing up the plea agreement. That's the last hearing where they're like, we don't know what we're doing. So the Manafort case went up against um, Trump firing Sessions and Manafort won 80 percent. Oh, totally. yeah. You're not surprised about that one, right? That. Yeah. I don't know. Firing the sessions for not unrecusing himself is pretty obstructiony, but they're both huge. Manafort's pretty big. Yeah, Manafort's like a whole arc of a storyline. The sessions thing is just like one little part. Yeah, I think it's the proximity of someone to Trump being in jail, sitting there currently, that makes it so big. That's true. Uh, Yes, and and it it a lot of people after that the the belief in the Mueller or the support of the Mueller investigation skyrocketed after the Manafort uh, convictions. Totally. Then we had in the next bracket, Fusion GPS uh, went up, or the next uh, match, Fusion GPS transcripts being released went up against the NRA being investigated. And NRA won, 75 to 25. Pretty big. And it sounds like only four people voted because these seem like round (laughs) numbers, but we had 1,000 votes at least. Oh, yeah. Then, so NRA beat Fusion GPS. Then um, the Comey memos, release of the Comey memos went up against Trump firing FBI agents. And the Comey memos won over uh, Trump firing the Comey, remember the Comey 5, mm-hmm. which became the Comey 6 because yep. of Buente? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So basically, uh, if, if you don't know what I'm talking about, there were um, five, six officials, uh, high-ranking officials in the FBI and the FBI Office of General Counsel who Comey shared his contemporaneous memos with right when they happened uh, after his meetings with Trump. And those guys were... Uh, Gaddis, um, Baker, McCabe. Um, I can't. I, well, it's been so long. I was just yeah. going to say it's been so long since that happened. And, and these guys more were, than I could think of. <laughs> and these guys are systematically fired. Yeah, uh, as time went on. All and that of them testimony were, too, the Comey testimony. I remember yeah. at the gym, it was on every channel, like uh-huh. eight TVs back to back, seeing Comey walk in the courtroom, all tall mm. and pissed. <laughs> He's what was somebody quoted me back to myself on Twitter? Comey doesn't give a fuck, and he is pissed, and he is tall. It's <laughs> brilliant. Uh, so anyway, the Comey memos won 62 uh, to 38. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Then we had Dems take the House versus the Kavanaugh con- confirmation. And along with the Kavanaugh confirmations comes comes the Kennedy um, resignation and his kid being mm-hmm. Deutsche Bank. You have to think of everything that That's comes with That's a good point, it. yeah. Uh, but Dems take the House won Still by bigger. 74. I voted for Kavanaugh. Really? I did. I thought Kavanaugh was a big thing. I voted for the Dems taking the House because it felt like a bigger event. But as a personal thing, Kavanaugh for sure. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. I guess it's like a it's a temporal thing. In the long run, the Kavanaugh thing is way more consequential, potentially. And I shouldn't say that. Not way more consequential. I completely take that back. Decades will be on the, you know. Yeah, but every the whole the whole lot of it, I thought, including the fact that it's now a very conservative justice sitting on the court Mm -hmm. in some really important issues. It is true. Yeah, Yeah. it is big. And and then when you think about the Deutsche Bank. 
Burbank, uh, Justin Kennedy son connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're like, was there a thing? Yeah, yeah we still haven't really un- uncovered that entirely yet. Right. We're still waiting to figure out. We've reported more. on it, but we haven't learned anything right, else. Yeah. Right. So that yeah, Dems taking the house is kind of old news compared yeah. to that. I guess I expected the Dems to take the house. I did not expect Kavanaugh to get confirmed. Mm-hmm. Good yeah, point. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that is a good point. Anyway, uh, Dems take the house one seventy four in that match. And then we had Flynn. All the Flynn shenanigans, <laughs> uh, particularly his sentencing memo, um, and then Mueller's sentencing memo, and then his reply, and then Mueller's reply, and then the hearing, like this whole drama that just unfolded. Yeah. That went up against Vanderswan, and Flynn kicked Vanderswan's oh, ass. Of course. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Flynn got 94% of the vote on that one, 94. But it didn't kick as much ass as this next bracket, where Cohen implicating 45 mm-hmm. in the um, financial uh, payoff. The, the yeah, the the Stormy Daniels, the cash and release, campaign finance violations. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, so Cohen implicated him in two counts, right? Or mm-hmm. Cohen, you know, he said Trump basically told me to do this. Yeah, uh, it was at the direction and coordination with that went up against the Stone Corsi emails, which I thought were a pretty big deal mm-hmm. because a lot of this whole collusion and conspiracy to aid and abet rests with Roger Stone. But Cohen won 95%. Yeah, I forget the significance of Corsi and Stone too often. So I think the average person is thinking more about Cohen because it's like flashing in the news. Well, it's a big damn deal too Mm -hmm. because he basically, this whole, his um, pleading, copying to this makes Trump an unindicted co-conspirator. And that's gigantic. Yeah, that's where Nixon was right before he left, right? Un- unindicted co-conspirator oh yeah he was an yeah. unindicted co-conspirator in a lot of things um <laughs> then oh my dog's barking what does she want uh there's probably a justice cat. justice <laughs> justice dog <laughs> then the final match was cohen's slush fund essential consulting's fucking essential <laughs> went up against cambridge analytica cambridge analytica won 72 yeah i can see that i voted for cam in it just was really shocking because we we I all voted for Cam Ann, bro. <laughs> Sounds like a commercial airline. J. Joe voted for Cam Ann. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Joko? Um, yeah, I agree, Cam Ann. Yeah. Cam Ann, Joko, Cam Ann, J. Joe. Yeah, yeah. It A-G, was really Cam Ann. Yeah, we all have letters now. It was just frustrating to realize that we were being so played on something that we thought we were controlling. Like we thought Facebook was our personal little thing just for us. And turns out, I mean, people told us for years to watch what you put on the Internet, but we didn't know that they would use it for political stuff. That was shocking. Yeah. Patricia Arquette brought this up today. She's like, man, I fell for that uh, Jill Stein recount. Oh, yeah. And so did I. I donated to it. I wonder what I fell for. Somebody actually tweeted back at me and they're like, I can't believe you're so fucking stupid. You voted for Jill Stein. I'm like, I didn't vote for Jill Stein. I sent her money for the recount because I was mad Hillary lost. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you even, what? Right. Yeah. Thanks for your mansplaining. <laughs> Have a nice day. So we end up now with the eight. Uh, I don't, what do they call it in March Madness? There's a Sweet um, 16. The, the final. I, I'm there's a final sure. four. Is it the great eight? The, the great eight. Exciting eight. <laughs> eight? Oh, no, yeah. The great. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Grape ape. Um <laughs> So the first uh, uh, bout here was uh, Butina versus Flynn, and Flynn kicked uh, kicked a butt. Mm-hmm. Actually, didn't kick her butt. It was only fifty nine percent. A lot of people think Butina is really important. Yeah. Um, so Butina versus Flynn. Flynn wins. All right, and then we had Cohen implicating forty five versus the Comey memos. Cohen won ninety five percent to five percent. Nice. They're like Comey memos. Don't even remember those. Oh yeah. Uh, then uh, <laughs> man. <it> is. <laughs> Then Manafort went up against uh, Cambridge Analytica, and Manafort won. Makes sense. 
Agreed. To 37. And then finally, Dems take the House versus the NRA. Dems take the House, 72%. Cool. So then we have the final four. And we had, um, which way did I set it up? Let me get my, I'm going to have to get my phone. So we're going to have to pause here. No worries. Um, We're going to take a break. We're going to go out. We're going to have a gay old time. And then we'll be (laughs) back. And you won't even notice. It'll be like, It'll be like one of those time capsule, time travel things where we go through a wormhole and for us it's years, but for you it's just like a second. So we're going to be gone for 10 years, but you only experience like one second. So check it out. All right, guys. So we've been gone for 10 years and uh, we determined, I went on uh, Twitter, I looked at the voting. It's 5149 right now between the top two things, which are Dems take the house and Cohen. And so you can vote now. I'm not going to, it's too close. I can't announce a winner yet. Um, Some people don't know about the contest yet or, you know, the Mueller madness competition. So right. yeah, we'll give them a chance. So find, uh, I'll pin the, I'll pin the tweet or find it on Twitter at Mueller. She wrote vote. Um, and uh, we'll announce the winner next week. So in the new year, in uh, the season premiere. Yes, next year. Season three premiere. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's it. Are you guys ready for the Fantasy Indictment League? Yes. yes. All right, so I think this week um, I'm just going to carry on with sort of the picks that I had before. Uh, maybe a couple changes here. I still think... Um, I want to add, put Kushner back in mm-hmm. and Don Jr. and Ivanka and Stone and Assange. Okay. So those are my five this week. Yeah, I'm keeping the kids myself. Are we still doing that <laughs> wild card with the... Um... Oh, yeah, and VTB Bank is my um, pick for uh, who the company A is from... Mm-hmm. Or country A, the company, state-owned company in the yeah. subpoena battle. VTB is still my pick. I had another pick then. Rosneft. Rosneft, there we go. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so I'm going to go with them. And just to be a little snowflake, little butterfly, you're, you're most likely right, AG, about VTB. I just <laughs> I just want to try. Um, and then, yeah, all the kids, Kush, Junior, Ivanka. I always say Kush is one of the kids because he's like an honorary. He's an in-law kid. Do you, yeah. want, do you want Eric, too? I do want Eric, too. So that'll be four. So that's your four kids. Yeah. And then my fifth one will be a rando. All right. So you're going to go with the... Kids. That's Eric, Ivanka, Junior, mm-hmm. Kushner. Kush, yes, and a rando. And a rando and Rosneft. Correct. Okay. I'm doing VTB because I believe the conjecture that you talked about last week. Um, I'm doing Kushner, Ivanka, DTJ, Stone, Assange. All right. Cool. Then we have it. There we go. Now, starting next year, we're going to make a change to our fantasy indictment picks. Just us, not you guys, not on the Facebook page, uh, Friends of Justice, not for patrons. You guys continue to do what you do. We're going to make a change where it's going to be actual fantasy, fantasy indictment draft, where somebody gets to go first, we decide who gets to go first, who gets to go second, who gets to go third. And then once you pick someone, the other people can't take that person. <laughs> so it's going to be like a true fantasy indictment draft because yeah. you can't have all the same guy, you know, all the time. I love that. <laughs> What do we do to decide who picks in uh, what order? 
we could rock, paper, scissors. Oh. Or we could draw straws or pick numbers. Yeah. We or could we read could... a trivia question and the first one I answer right wins. I don't know who would moderate that. That's a lot of work. <laughs> what about like just going in a chronological order? Like uh, you do the first week, Jordan's the second week, I do the third week, and then we just rotate it. Is that too predictable? Oh. Well, well, I, I mean, mean, somebody would have to, we'd have to find out how who starts. Oh, well, yeah. that's, yeah, I guess the question. So Fight I, to the death. Yeah, it's simple. Yeah. <laughs> Fight to the death. Excellent. Next week, just me. <laughs> I think I could take you both. Probably, um, yeah. Probably, yeah. Yeah, I give up very easily. Same, same. <laughs> I roll over and expose my belly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna change up those rules next time. But uh, anyway, so stick around for that. It's gonna be amazing. Are you guys ready for sabotage? Yes. yes. All right. So early this morning, Saturday morning, Time Magazine, Time dropped an exclusive story. Uh, on a months-long investigation they've been working on. Recently, uh, on December 19th of this year, the Treasury released its latest sanctions list. And the man at the top of the list is named uh, Victor Boyarkin. He's a former arms dealer and an ex-Russian spy. And he was accused of handling money on behalf of Oleg Deripaska. Boyarkin, uh, that's why he was on the sanctions list. Boyarkin told Time magazine that he was in touch with Paul Manafort, saying, quote, he owed us a lot of money and he was offering to pay it back, unquote. Woo. So Boyarkin said he was approached by Robert Mueller and he told Robert Mueller to, quote, go dig a ditch. Oh, that's a big insult in Russia, I guess. Um, This is uh, some of the clearest evidence of conspiracy uh, and aiding and abetting to date. Because as we all know, Manafort went to work for Trump for free and he promised Oleg Deripaska private briefings in exchange to, quote, make whole his $19 million debt to the Russian oligarch for a telecom uh, thing they went in on together. And he, they just him and Gates just took off without paying him back. Uh, if you remember, Manafort wrote a series of emails to Konstantin Kalimnik, who he's uh, also co-indicted with, <laughs> promising uh, the briefings. And we reported on those a long time ago. Uh, and one of the unanswered mysteries in, in those emails was a reference Manafort made to, quote, our friend V., Unquote. And we all thought it was Vladimir Putin. Turns out, no. Uh, thanks to Time Magazine, that is Victor Boyarkin. Wow. And huh. this makes me want to add Manafort and Boyarkin to my fantasy indictment team this week. Superseding for Manafort. and But I, I think Manafort still has a ways to go. Yeah, I will add this guy. Victor, you said his first name is? Yeah, Victor, Victor Bor- Boyarkin. Boyarkin. So I'm going to go with Junior, Ivanka, Stone, Assange, and Boyarkin. Boyarkin. Yeah. Boyarkin. I'll just replace my rando with him. Yeah, because he would be a rando, rando until I just named him. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. So you were good to go with a rando. Yeah. Ooh. So what about you? Do you want to change anything? Definitely. Yeah, that's juicy. I'm going to take off Kushner. You should take and Eric off. I don't have Eric. Oh, that's right. Smart. It was you that had Eric. <laughs> right. Yep. Taking so. off Kushner, replacing him with Boyorkin. <laughs> yeah. And I took Kushner off and replaced him with Assange, I think. So, yeah. So, all right. We got it. Boy Orkin. Boy Orkin. Boy Orkin. A man strictly made of pesticide control. <laughs> Orkin boy. Here I am to save the day. Uh, all right. Well, cool. Uh, one thing we know for sure, regardless of whether Manafort is indicted again this week or not, is that Manafort is.
Hey, Muller junkies. You asked for them, and we have them. You can now buy a Keep Calm and Put Some Beans on It t-shirt at our online store. Or if you become a patron this week at the $15 level, just this week, we'll send you one for free. As a patron, you'll get access to all our premium content, including the back catalog of over 40 bonus episodes. You'll get our weekly newsletter that includes my research notes that is put together by the wonderful Jordan. You'll get access to our closed Facebook group where you can join in on the fun playing the Fantasy Indictment League. You'll get ad-free episodes, and you'll have access to our book club where we review books relevant to the Mueller investigation. So head to patreon.com slash MullerSheWrote and support women in podcasting or shop online at MullerSheWrote.com and put some beads on it. All right, guys. And for uh, the interview, what what we did this week was we got all of our favorite uh, listeners, past guests, all together. And we did this last minute. Everyone was so kind to do this. And we asked them what they thought the most consequential news story, like like in our Mueller Madness bracket, or the weirdest or funniest story is of 2018, uh, to see what they thought. And And here is a montage of all of their answers. So this is Joyce Vance. The most important development in the Mueller investigation in 2018 is something that's been hotly debated at my dinner table over the last few nights. But where I come down, I think, is a is a slightly off-center place from where most people are. I think about Mueller's central charge, figuring out whether the Trump campaign worked with Russians to get him elected. We don't know the answer to that for sure. But Mueller, I think, by now does. And the answer to that question is the most important thing that happened in the Russia investigation this year. Uh, You know, we don't know where Mueller's going. We don't know if he'll be indicting anyone else or not. But this idea that he has evidence that's not yet public, that he's compiled so that he can reach these decisions, is, I think, the most important thing that he's done this year and the most important thing for all of us. And it may even be that some of those important pieces have leaked out into the public, but we don't yet know their significance because we don't see the uh, full picture. And then I think the final thing it's important to say is this. Um, Bob Mueller has taken on almost mythical significance for some folks in this country, but we have to remember that he's a prosecutor. He's not a knight in shining armor. He will, at the end of the day, do a prosecutor's job. His his goal is not, cannot be to save all of us. It's simply to fulfill his responsibilities as a prosecutor. So he'll use the evidence. He'll do it in a truthful way, but he's shown us that we can have confidence in him and that this certainly is not a political operation or a witch hunt, that this is a prosecutorial effort to seek the truth and to hold accountable those who are responsible. So I I see that as the most important lesson that we've learned this year wrapped up with the most important work that Mueller has done. Hi, this is Sarah Kenzier. I'm the co-host of the podcast Gaslit Nation. Um, and I think the most interesting Trump-Russia story of 2018 is the recent expose in BuzzFeed about the hijacking of the U.S. Treasury by Russia um, as early as 2015. I think it's appalling that this wasn't um, stopped, uh, that it's only being reported now. So kudos to BuzzFeed for finally breaking that story. Um, and the implications of it are enormous. Um, and, you know, I don't think that we've, we've seen the scope of that play out yet. This is Seth Abramson. I'm the author of Proof of Collusion. For me, the most important Trump-Russia event of 2018 
by far, with no clear second place, is a report that came out in the New York Times on May 19th, 2018, in which the New York Times reported that on August 3rd, 2016, there was a meeting that occurred at Trump Tower. And that meeting at Trump Tower is critically important now, and it will be going forward to the Trump-Russia investigation. So let me give some context to that New York Times reporting. Now, first of all, let me say that there's been no follow-up on that reporting from the New York Times, but we do know that Robert Mueller is looking into that meeting specifically. Um, the reason I think this meeting on August 3rd, 2016 at Trump Tower could turn out to be the single most important event in the entire Trump-Russia timeline, not just in 2018, but of all the events that we have heard of so far, is because of three things. First of all, who was there? Second of all, what was discussed at that meeting? And third, the current status of the meeting's participants with respect to the Mueller investigation. So let me start first with who was at that Trump Tower meeting on August 3rd, 2016, about 90 days before the 2016 election. The first person who was there was Donald Trump Jr. And anytime Donald Trump Jr., who was not officially connected to the campaign, but obviously his father was the Republican candidate in 2016, anytime he's at a meeting, that's crucially important because it brings with it everything that that implies. First of all, did he tell his father about the meeting on August 3rd, 2016, before it happened? Did he tell him about it immediately after it happened? Did Donald Trump Sr. offer any input into how Donald Trump Jr. conducted himself at that meeting? Or even because we know that Donald Trump Sr. sometimes, quote unquote, attended meetings in Trump Tower through one-way speakerphone where people didn't know that he was listening on meeting, there's even a possibility that the candidate himself was aware of what was happening at the meeting while it was happening. The second person who was there, George Nader, an emissary of the Saudi crown prince who we know as MBZ, and also an emissary of the United Arab Emirates, Emirati, crown prince MBZ. That's how he's known, Mohammed bin uh, Zayed. MBS is Mohammed bin Salman. Nader met with Jared Kushner, Michael Flynn, Steve Bannon, and it appears possibly even Donald Trump on many occasions after the election. But this is the first meeting we know of that took place prior to Election Day that George Nader attended. It's important for people to understand that George Nader was the architect of what I call the Red Sea Conspiracy. That is a plot that was hatched on a yacht in the Red Sea in November or December of 2015 to have three Middle East nation leaders, MBS, MBZ, and the president of Egypt, uh, al-Sisi, partner with a U.S. politician, and it was decided on that yacht that the politician would be Donald Trump, to remake the Middle East dramatically, geopolitically, diplomatically, militarily, and in every possible sense. The third person who was at that meeting on August 3rd, 2016, was Eric Prince. Trump was a shadow national, uh, excuse me, Eric Prince was a shadow national security advisor for Donald Trump during the campaign. He was involved in the hunt for Hillary's emails. He was involved in covert Trump negotiations with Russia and also with Middle Eastern nations over nuclear technology and the use of American mercenaries in place of uh, American military might in the Middle East in Syria and elsewhere. And then finally, the last person who was there, Joel Zamel, someone who we will be hearing a lot more about, an Israeli businessman who previously was an Israeli intelligence agent, who at the time of that August 3rd, 2016 meeting was working with two Trump-connected Russian oligarchs. Rebolovlev, who Trump allegedly, we believe, met with twice in the 10 days before the 2016 election, and Deripaska, who was, of course, Paul Manafort's contact, uh, 
in terms of someone who was a Kremlin a agent and someone who Manafort had previously worked with. And then briefly, I'll just say what was discussed there. What was discussed is that Nader representing Saudi Arabia and the UAE and Zamel representing Israeli intelligence interests, as well as the Kremlin, offered collusive assistance to the Trump family. And here's the key thing. The New York Times reports that Donald Trump Jr. said yes. So put aside for a moment that June 2016 meeting where the Russians offered collusive assistance and allegedly the Trumps in the person of Donald Trump Jr. and Jared Kushner said no. In this case, the New York Times said that Donald Trump Jr. said yes. And then finally, what's the current status of those meetings participants? Well, Donald Trump Jr. has told friends that he expects to be indicted. We have reports from the New York Times and Washington Post that Eric Prince clearly lied to Congress during his testimony, and therefore we might expect that Eric Prince will at some point be indicted. And then most importantly, George Nader is cooperating with Robert Mueller. So Robert Mueller knows everything about the lead up to this meeting and what happened with George Nader and also Eric Prince afterwards. For instance, one of the reasons we know Eric Prince lied to Congress about his January 2017 meeting in the Seychelles is because George Nader told Robert Mueller that he had set up that meeting so that Prince could be Trump's envoy to Kirill Dmitriev of the Russian Foreign Investment Direct Fund. And therefore, we know that George Nader can implicate Eric Prince. So I think that the what I've referred to as the grand bargain among a large number of nations to offer pre-election collusive assistance to the Trumps essentially crystallized on that date with all of the key parties except for Egypt present in that room in Trump Tower on August 3rd, 2016. And wouldn't you know it, two weeks after that meeting, George Papadopoulos orchestrated a meeting between Donald Trump and the president of Egypt, al-Sisi, and Michael Flynn attended that meeting, just as Michael Flynn attended subsequent meetings with George Nader, with MBZ, with Eric Prince, with Steve Bannon, with Jared Kushner, as they flushed out this five-nation illegal, collusive pre-election bargain to offer money and other forms of assistance to the Trump campaign. This is David Priest. I'm the chief operating officer of the Lawfare Institute, known for the Lawfare blog author of How to Get Rid of a President, History's Guide to Removing Unpopular, Unable, or Unfit Chief Executives, and Robert Mueller's former daily intelligence briefer from when I was back at CIA. Reflecting back on 2018, the most important moment related to Mueller that I can think of is the hacking and leaking indictment in July of the 12 Russians, in part because of its specificity. All of us had been saying for a while that Mueller does his homework, that he crosses his T's and he dots his I's, and there wasn't going to be anything sloppy about it. And we had a preview of that in the February indictments of the IRA troll farm. But the July indictment was exquisite in terms of the specific emails, street addresses, and all of those involved in the targeting of the Clinton campaign. But the oddest moment for me came not that far removed from that in time. The oddest Mueller moment of 2018 was what I call Mullergate, which was on July 27th, when Bob Mueller and Junior were seen together at the same airport gate at Reagan National Airport in Washington, D.C. And you would have thought for the next week that this was the second coming because everybody wanted to comment about they were at the same gate. What could they have done? Did they notice just about anything to do with this? was headline news. It even got Peter Carr, the spokesman for the special counsel, to actually comment publicly, something he was not wont to do. He, as I recall, confirmed that Mueller was in the photo and said that he was waiting to board a flight. 
And those are more words that we've gotten out of Peter Carr in many ways. So the obsession with Mullergate in July is certainly odd, but it is a reflection of the fact that he has not been taking a public stance, and that bodes well for 2019. Hey, this is uh, Jack Bryan. I'm the co-writer, director of the documentary Active Measures. Uh, and I think that the biggest, uh, the most consequential story relating to Trump and Russia this year has been Rick Gates flipping. Uh, it hasn't gotten a lot of attention recently, and uh, it feels like it's been overshadowed by other uh, things. But Gates is uh, a character who is, I think, very much uh, part of the Russian operation with Manafort and kind of takes over for Manafort to some extent uh, after Manafort leaves and was on the transition and also knows the sort of backstory in a way uh, with Manafort that uh, the other people in this might not. Uh, and so while I think that there is certainly a chance that, that Cohen flipping could be the biggest deal, uh, or um, I think it's also possible that some foreign intelligence services helping out, we don't really have enough of that yet. I think that the Gates thing, for my money, is likely to be the story that uh, had the most effect in that it allows uh, Mueller to cross-reference his uh, interviews after that. And I think Gates has a lot of information. Hi, this is Greg Oliar, the author of Dirty Rubles, an introduction to Trump Russia. And for me, the most consequential story for me uh, involving Trump Russia was the murder of the journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Um, and I guess it wasn't consequential. It was more of a mind blow for me personally, because what it, what it brought home for me was how Vast the scope of all of this really is. Uh, Trump Russia, it turns out, isn't really just about Russia. It doesn't confine itself to that boundary and those borders. There's other countries involved. And it's not so much the murder of Khashoggi as much as the connections that Jared Kushner had uh, with MBS, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, uh, who we know pretty much was behind the, the, the assassination. And Trump, in his bizarre uh, response to it, just clinging desperately to any excuse he could to, 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 to wish it away and hope that people didn't ask any more questions. He, he didn't want to blame MBS. And I think it, it sort of brought home for me just how corrupt these people are, how much people have on them, how much they owe other people for where they are, and how willing they are uh, to, to do what, what the the people say and, and, and command them to do. Um, so I think one of the questions people constantly ask is, what's taking so long? Hurry up, Mueller. Well, why is it taking so long? And I think it's taking so long because of the scope of this thing. It's just, it, we know more than most people, and what we know is, is the tip of the iceberg compares to, to what Mueller knows, and it's just so big that it just takes time. Hi, this is uh, Scott Dworkin. I'm the co-founder of the Democratic Coalition, and I'm also the host of the Dworkin Report podcast. I think the most important story of 2018 has to be Michael Cohen's indictment and also partial flipping on Trump. It, it just was so cataclysmic towards his administration, and it's been so uh, long and ongoing. And there's so many facets of it. You have not only the payoff to porn stars that involve FEC violations and felonies uh, directed by Trump, 
which also makes him an unindicted conspirator. Uh, oh my God, unindicted co-conspirator. But uh, also, you have the parts of, of Russia and the other business deals that they've done uh, over the past, you know, fifteen years or so. So there, there's a lot to to dig in there. Um, on top of the fact that uh, Cohen pled guilty and he started cooperating at least a little bit with prosecutors. So I, I think that this is something that will end up being, you know, the, the worst part to Trump because he was the, the wingman. Hey, it's Elizabeth Cronice McLaughlin from Resistance Live. So my choice for the most significant event of the year with regard to Trump Russia is actually somewhat unconventional, I think. And it is the Flynn sentencing memorandum that was filed by Robert Mueller. The reason why I think it's so significant is that Flynn had his hands in so much dirty, ugly stuff. The attempt to kidnap a Turkish citizen and return him to Erdogan. The negotiations that we know of right now with the Russian ambassador. Um, the ongoing attempts to get nuclear power into Saudi Arabia and Egypt from the Russians and the Chinese. And he was engaged in all of this during the transition and the time that he was the national security advisor. Lo and behold, we get to December of this year, and Robert Mueller files a sentencing memorandum that recommends that Flynn doesn't do any jail time. And for me, coming out of a white-collar legal background, you know, someone who has been engaged in litigation that has had really massive criminal components attached to it, the idea that someone who had engaged in as much significant, dangerous criminal conduct as Mike Flynn would get a recommendation of no jail time from Robert Mueller, I think tells us an awful lot about what Flynn has given up in the context of information with regard to Trump. I find it very hard to believe personally that he could have gotten a sentencing recommendation of no jail time if he had not flipped at bare minimum on the vice president, if not the president himself. And so to me, the reason why this is the most significant event with regard to Trump Russia and Trump Mueller in 2018 is because of what it tells us about what's likely coming down the pike for next year. My name is Renata Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor and the host of the On Topic podcast. To me, the most consequential thing that happened this year was Michael Cohen going in open court and saying under oath that Donald Trump directed him to commit a crime. It was unexpected, uh, and I think it was extremely important because for the first time, you had the president of the United States directly implicated uh, in a crime that was charged and ultimately resulted in a conviction in federal court. It was later uh, confirmed by federal prosecutors, uh, accepted as a finding not only by the probation department, but it ultimately adopted by the federal judge in that case. And I believe that we're so focused at times on what's happening on the Russia side of things that we we fail to realize that in many ways um, that is, in my mind, the most challenging and important legal problem that is facing the Trump administration. It's an investigation that is difficult uh, for Trump to stop. Uh, it it does not. Uh, have anything to do with this typical rhetoric attacking the Mueller investigation about angry Democrats or no collusion. Uh, it is just a straight-up uh, crime that 
is uh, that has fairly strong evidence. Uh, it's uh, it's already resulted in a conviction, and there's very good reason to believe uh, that Trump may also be guilty of the same crime. But I think the untold story of this year uh, is what I'll call obstruction fatigue. And we've gotten to the point where Donald Trump will say things that are openly corrupt, and we don't even bat an eye. Uh, I remember at uh, one point this year, Donald Trump tweeted out criticizing his attorney general, Jeff Sessions, for failing to quash the investigations and indictments of two Republican congressmen who have been indicted and are accused of committing very serious crimes. He said that you know ultimately he thought it would result in the loss of those seats. And essentially what he was saying is that the attorney general of the United States should stop prosecutions of people if it benefits their party politically. It is just straight up corrupt. There's no way to defend that statement. And yet, after a day or so, it was out of the news. More recently, he was directing uh, Matthew Whitaker, allegedly, as reported by CNN, uh, to control the prosecutors in Manhattan in the Southern District of New York. Once again, it was a one-day story. That, to me, is uh, very troubling, and it says something about our democracy. And I, I think when this is all said and done, uh, Robert Mueller is going to have a lot to say about obstruction of justice. And if it is not taken seriously on a bipartisan basis, in part that will be due, our, to, due to our own uh, failure to um, maintain the outrage that we should have at a president who is openly corrupt and trying to undermine the rule of law. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Proops, and uh, I'm the host of the Smartest Man in the World uh, podcast that my wife Jennifer and I put together every week and take around the world, where we discuss politics, feminism, history, music, drugs, and the like. Um, I think the most consequential um, happenstance in the uh, Mueller investigation in the last year is, of course, all of the um, indictments and convictions. Um, We're talking dozens now, including Russian nationals, and uh, I think in the last uh, a few weeks, um, having uh, Michael Flynn um, spill the beans, as it were, to um, the special investigators and then um, plead that he didn't know how um, all that worked and have the judge in Washington actually become furious with him and call him a traitor and then have to re-step on that and retract on that, I think says quite a lot about the character of all the people involved in this giant criminal um, operation. I also feel like uh, finally the public is getting uh, hip to the fact that there's no such thing as collusion and meddling. Collusion and meddling are made up terms um, that the so-called White House uses to obfuscate the fact that what we're talking about is collaboration and treason and an abrogation of um, about a million election laws and uh, and the like. So I think uh, that's what's uh, – and as Jennifer and I were discussing before uh, I got on this um, uh, show, uh, the absolute um, – Secrecy and um, n- uh, complete compact non-leakage of the Mueller team has been wildly impressive. And the fact that they've been able to fund their entire investigation um, by forfeiture of assets of Manafort and all the villains involved in this. Uh, I feel like that's the most important thing that's happened so far. And uh, as a side note, I would say that uh, this is really truly the year of the woman um, uh, with uh, women taking over 25 percent of the Congress for the first time. Um, Nancy Pelosi or Mrs. Pelosi, as she's known to the White House, um, putting the fear of absolute goddess into um, all of the um, misogynist predators that run this show. 
And that as something like Mueller, she wrote, which is um, a podcast run by three women that came hurtling out of obscurity, uh, would run into such um, acclaim and success in this fine year. Uh, this is Mimi Roca. I am a former SDMI prosecutor and now an MSNBC uh, legal analyst and at Pace University School of Law. And the most consequential and important, I think, moment in uh, 2018 in the whole Russia investigation was when the special counsel office uh, released two indictments, one after the other, uh, against the Russians for actually committing crimes here in the United States by trying to interfere, attack our elections. And I think it was the most important part so far because it actually put into facts and evidence things that we sort of knew but now really could know for sure because we knew that Mueller felt he could prove these things in court. So that to me was the most important part so far of the investigation. Hi, everyone. Happy New Year. It's Andrea Chalupa from Gaslit Nation. And I am thrilled to join Mueller, She Wrote, in this uh, fantastic lineup of wonderful guests. And so I think one of the key stories of 2018, a year of so much confirmation, so much that we knew that was finally uh, confirmed, brought out in the open. You know, we knew that they needed conduits on the ground, pollinating their coalition of corruption. And, of course, we got that confirmation with the arrest and uh, of Maria Butina, a Russian spy. And um, so that was exciting. We knew that the uh, Trump inauguration was one big Russian money laundering prom night, <laughs> which Maria Butina uh, attended, of course, with her so-called lover, Erickson. And so, yeah, so and now that's being investigated. And so... That's all wonderful. And so we'll, we'll probably hear more about the, the big inauguration night and all the crimes that likely were happening out in the open uh, during that night with uh, a record number of, of, of influential Russians, Russian oligarchs attending that inauguration. Um, there's, of course, accusations of, uh, of misspent funds and uh, whether favors were being traded and whether foreign policy, American foreign policy was being sold off essentially at that inauguration. So there's a lot of uh, there can be a lot of interesting developments there to watch, which I'm I'm thrilled about because that was a terrifying night, uh, just given the, the guest list alone, and just the massive amount of money being spent, and just so little to show for it that night. Um, so, but I think the number one story to watch in 2018, where we had a frightening development, is of course Ukraine. So what happened at the end of November? For the Russia openly attacked Ukraine in international waters. That's a big shift because normally Russia tries to hide it. They had, you know, the so-called little green men showing up and annexing Crimea. Uh, they had so-called Russian rebels uh, invading East Ukraine. That was, of course, the Russian military invading Ukraine. Um, and right now you have a big Russian military buildup inside Crimea um, along the edge of East, East Ukraine. So, and, and, the, and the rhetoric is, is, is getting increasingly hostile and the propaganda towards Ukraine. It's a lot of... Um, it's all the signs are pointing to a very serious escalation in Ukraine in, in, in 2019. Um, so what's really significant about that in, in connection to Trump, Russia, I'd even say that the Mueller investigation is this. 
you know, um, we know that Putin and Trump, we, we had it confirmed at the that Helsinki summit where Trump came out like a chain dancing Russian bear, very submissive towards Putin um, in, in the Helsinki press conference. That was terrifying. And there's even a report that it terrified that it shocked people in the CIA um, and, and they're experts, of course, they're ahead of all of us. But it's still so stunning to see the so-called leader of the free world being submissive, almost like ad- admiring this uh, mass murdering dictator, Vladimir Putin. And um, and during that press conference, uh, you had, the, leading up to it, you had the 12 Russians indicted. Uh, you had Maria Butina shortly thereafter arrested. So you really saw this checks the balances by the Mueller investigation uh, with Rosenstein coming out and, and, and saying, we've got these 12 Russians we, by name, here they are, to try to sort of put a damper on Putin's big coming out party with Trump. Um, but of course, there's only so much that our checks and balances in the U.S. can do right now with this Russian mafia asset in the White House. And I think there's no clearer signal than, of that than the fact that the U.S. has not sanctioned Russia for openly attacking Ukraine. The U.S. has not led with the EU as it normally would have done under Obama in, in, ha- in, in convincing the EU to pass further sanctions um, against Russia for openly attacking Ukraine. And I think that is the scariest sign yet that um, I don't want to say that Putin may be winning, but that is that is really where we need to watch to see how this new world order could be potentially shifting with such a power vacuum in the White House and Putin uh, increasingly becoming more imperialist, imperialistic, more aggressive. Uh, we, he somehow was able, he and Erdogan were somehow able to convince Trump to get out of Syria. Syria is now fully owned by Russia. Um, that's a huge geopolitical win for Putin. That's a big base for them right there in the Mediterranean. And so is Ukraine next. And a lot of signs are pointing to a big escalation there. And, and, and that's going to be dangerous because it's going to further destabilize the EU. Um, you're going to have, it's going to worsen the refugee crisis in Ukraine. Millions have been displaced by the war in Ukraine. Um, that's, and worse than a refugee crisis will, of course, flood, uh, further flood the EU with refugees, and that could lead to a rise in the far-right rhetoric. Uh, you had the NATO commander, of course, in 2016 telling, telling the Senate that Russia was deliberately bombing civilians inside Syria to create more refugees to flood Europe. Why would he do that? Because the far-right parties that Putin can, uh, supports uh, that Putin supports, they like to use that anti-refugee rhetoric, and that's how they try to you know, create hysteria and, and further push their nationalist agenda. So I just think uh, if, if Putin is going to go deeper inside Ukraine, create far more casualties, and, and who knows, maybe take over the country, um, that is going to really create more chaos and, and destabilization of the fact that we don't have a, a strong White House standing up against that, standing up uh, to protect against a worsening human rights crisis that's really going to have a very bad ripple effect in uh, geopolitics for many years to come. And so that's what I think everyone should look out for is Ukraine in 2019 and the lack thereof of sanctions by the U.S. and the EU due to, uh, you know, leaders right now. Um, you even had, so I make, I'm going to keep going on because I, I just really want to press this point home. You had Four days after that attack in international waters, uh, you had a, an advisor to Frederica Mogherini, who oversees foreign affairs for the EU. You had one of her advisors writing in Politico four days after Russia openly attacks Ukraine, 
this advisor writes in Politico, Europe's sanctions against Russia are not working. So all of this points to, yes, Mueller's investigation can come out with whatever it wants, but is it still a shifting world order towards Putin's world now? And all of that's going to come down to whether the U.S. and the EU will be united in, in sanctioning uh, Russia because sanctions do work or else Putin would not have gone to all this trouble to elect one of his assets, President of the United States. And that's my point for 2019. Hello, this is Virginia Heffernan. I am a co-host of Slate's Trumpcast, an opinion writer for the LA Times, and I also write a column for Wired. To me, the most consequential part of the Mueller investigation this past year was the conviction, arrest, and imprisonment of Paul Manafort. Manafort embodies, he's like the caricature of the corruption of the Republican Party, which for decades has been sending people abroad, sending, posing people as lobbyists, posing people as PR people to clean up the reputations of murderous dictators, including Yanukovych and um, Oleg Deripaska, the oligarch who was a client of Manafort's, who's also had it, has his hand in many, many bloody human rights abuses. Manafort, together with Roger Stone, defined these kind of acts for Republicans who'd seemingly been put out to pasture and set up a network of United States politics laundering the reputations of dictators abroad. And to me, he stands for the corruption of the GOP and his imprisonment stands hopefully for the redemption and reform of our political parties. Hey, 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 this is Randall of Randall's Animals. And I think the biggest Trump-Russia story of 2018 was all about that crazy-ass honey badger Judge Ellis and his rulings in the Manafort trial. You see, Paul Manafort don't care. Paul Manafort don't give a shit. But you know why? Because he's stupid. You see, a honey badger don't care because it has to in order to live and survive in the wild. But Paul Manafort don't care because he's just so stupid. If you ask me, Judge Ellis went so hard on him, not because of all the um, counts of conspiracy or the five counts of tax fraud or bank fraud. It was because he walked around in ostrich clothing. Hello? I mean, how can one not expect to face the heat when they walk around like that in ostrich clothes? Now, here are some quick little FYIs about Pauly Manafort. He was born on April Fool's Day. How funny is that? In Connecticut. He's 69 years old, and his pop was indicted in a corruption scandal in 1981. Wasn't convicted, but he was indicted. Okay. And something tells me that Paul Manafort's grandpapa, who immigrated from Italy to the United States in the early 20th century, would have no idea that his grandson would grow up to walk around in ostrich clothes. Am I right? I mean, could you imagine? Jeez oh, Louise. Anyways, if you ask me, Judge Ellis and Paul Manafort are the new Felix Unger and Oscar Madison. I'm sending big love and hugs to all you listeners out there and wish you have the most fantastic new year. So, Renato, do you still have your own podcast? Yeah, it's complicated. What's so complicated about a podcast? That's the name of the podcast, remember? Oh, will you still be exploring topics that help us understand the week's news? 
you bet. But we'll have a new name because we're going to be working together to explore complicated issues that are dominating the news. Working together? Yeah, you're hosting it with me, remember? Oh, right. Wait, does that mean our podcast is going to have a steam mop segment? Let's not get carried away. But we'll discuss hot new legal topics. So check out our new episode coming soon to everywhere you get podcasts as well as YouTube. All right, guys, that's our show, our final show of 2018. Join us for season three starting next week when Dems take the gavels back in the house. Um, We're only about 150 patrons away from adding a second bonus episode each week just for patrons. I think we're going to do that anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, That will be available for patrons only. You can get in on that for as little as three bucks. Totally worth it. So go to patreon.com slash Melissa wrote. We have had an amazing year. This has been so terrifying yet wonderful (laughs) for me and um your support has been unwavering and immense and out of the blue for me and just completely i'm super honored that uh, we could put this news together for you every week same our lives are changed because of this podcast for sure so thank you so much everyone that listens all the time thank you jaleesa thank you ag i love you guys love you too yeah i like how someone put it in um the facebook group that we have because someone started a thread i think it was wendy um because we're all on a first name basis now and she uh she asked the other patrons why they wanted or why they signed up you know to become a patron and their responses were incredible do you like, have some of those responses because i i, I read up. through that and it was just like i was almost i almost had to stop reading because it was too complimentary like i felt <laughs> guilty like you know how you always feel like i'm not worthy of this love right right um but it, it was just really um a, a wonderful thing and you guys, if you're not a patron, just being a part of that community, we've got, what, 1,500, 1,600 people in that group? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I have a correction from last week. I overstated how much we have, but it's actually about 1,000 less, 1,500, <sighs> which means it's a small cute community. It is. It's a small community. Support and, small business. And we're all uh, like-minded individuals, and we all are into this, um, and we all support each other. And we all uh, agree that laughter... Um, comparably, is preferable to crying. So that's why we do what we do, uh, not just to bring you uh, the news every week so that you can have it in, you know, all in one place uh, for the Mueller investigation. But that that thread is <laughs> completely amazing. And thank you guys for putting it together for us. It was the best Christmas gift I could have received. And uh, except for uh, the necklace my husband got me. Love you, baby. Um <laughs> But seriously, it truly, the support that you guys give us is is immeasurable. Yeah. So you, if did you find that thread? I would love to just hear a couple. I of did. Yes. Yeah. So first of all, thank you, Wendy Cottrell, for starting this. She did an amazing post. She said, "I'm curious why all of you chose to be a patron." Uh, I listened to several pods. This is the only one I've subscribed to. They won me with supporting women and podcasting. Now I can't imagine giving this up, and that's um, <clears throat> amazing. So Susan Bernard said. Uh, I chose to be a patron because these women are smart, they do their research, and they present it in a way that we can all understand, and they find a way to make us all laugh in one of the most tragic times in this country. And besides, they are really nice people. (laughs) Happy New Year to you all. Susan came and saw us at the La Jolla Store show. I'm a dick. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Susan. (laughs) Someone else. um, Thank you, Susan. Elizabeth Templeton said, it feels to me like participating in a movement, not just a podcast. Uh, I actually got, uh, during the interviews today, while you look for the next comment, Mm -hmm. um, I had so many people tell me um, 
how not, you know, not only are we bringing the news, but we actually probably helped the Dems win the House. Uh, and I thought, I don't know, that seems like a stretch or not. But we, you know, we did a lot. Um, Everyone that did anything helped. Yeah, we all any, did our part. Yeah, yeah. Any ounce um, of of effort that anyone put into it, mm-hmm. um, it's not it's not just these kinds kinds of things. Uh, it's it's not just podcasts. It's not just uh, you know. There's a lot of celebrities on Twitter who are uh, <laughs> on you know on the left and part of the resistance. But everyday normal people um, who did anything, um, whether yeah. it's uh, tweet or make a Facebook post or go out and canvas mm-hmm. or contact your senators, make voting. phone calls, voting. voting. So many people told me that they wouldn't vote, which is why I'm like, anyone that does, oh my gosh, like that's incredible to me. Just yeah. doing that Just alone. voting. Yeah. yeah. Um, Elizabeth uh, Gal- Galita said, I listen to a lot of podcasts. This is the only one I've ever subscribed to. Why? Well, because it's fucking essential. <laughs> That's fucking essential. That's yeah. consultants. So many great ones. So many comments. I, I can't even get through them all. But yeah, I mean, that's I'm in awe. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's and honestly, if if this weren't my podcast, I would pay the three bucks a month just to be part of this community because it's so uplifting and positive and optimistic and hopeful and supportive. And and everybody in this group, um, the men and the women alike, are just complete and total allies. And I, I'm just I'm honored and flabbergasted and beyond belief at the same time that, that this kind of thing can happen. And it's just it's, we need it uh, in, in this era. We really do. Oh, yeah. And they're funny. We've got a bunch they of comedians are. over I here. I be all these people's friends. Yeah. yeah. I feel like we're friends. Every time I, I engage with anyone, it's just that kind of connection. It's, it's automatic. Just Mueller junkies is really something mm-hmm. yeah, fundamental there, I think. Yeah. And speaking of friends, I think we're going to put together a tour here pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the cities, and I, these aren't confirmed yet, but uh, we're coming your way if you're in Minneapolis. We have so many fans in Minneapolis. Yeah. Um, Chicago, New York, D.C., Seattle, Portland, Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Australia, New Zealand, and London, and LA, LA, it's LA and San Francisco. Yeah. So I think those are the main ones that I've hit. We're probably going to add some additional shows to that, but we're going to have a meet and greet, cocktail meet and greet, so we can all have a glass of wine. Yeah. We might have some slumber parties. Um, we we'll figure it out. I'm so down. Um, but you know, follow us on Twitter if you don't, because that's where most of the uh, tour information is going to come out. Is at Muller She Wrote on Twitter, mm-hmm. also Instagram at Muller She Wrote, and then of course, if you're a patron, the closed Facebook page will keep everybody posted on that and patrons are going to get discount tickets codes for discount tickets on our tour nice um codes for the vip meet and greets and things like that so we're really excited to come out and meet you guys we haven't done that yet because we're still actually kind of a baby pod even though it's been a little over (laughs) a year we met the og muller junkies or quite a few of them Mm -hmm. but there's been so many since like it's just yeah our first live show was in july and since Mm -hmm. then we've tripled our audience so we can't wait to meet you guys um honestly we couldn't do it without you and i'm so humbled by your support yeah it's been a all things considered it's been a good year in that finding your family so to speak you know like i kind of feel like that yeah 
Yeah, and the fact that these groups exist and that this support exists in this time is is so huge. I th- I, I think it's essential. It's fucking essential. <laughs> yeah, I got high hopes for 2019. I do too. Oh man, we're about to get on the offense now. It's about to get crazy. It's the season finale. We might yeah. split it into two seasons, like Game of Thrones. Oh but yeah, it's going to be. This is it. I think 2019. We're going to find out a lot, and we're going to be there for each other. So thank you guys so much for listening. I've been Ag. I've been Jaleesa Johnson. I've been Jordan Coburn. And this is Muller. She wrote. Muller She Wrote is produced and engineered by AG with editing and logo design by Jaleesa Johnson. Our marketing consultant and social media manager is Sarah Lee Steiner, and our subscriber and communications director is Jordan Coburn. Fact-checking and research by AG, and research assistance by Jaleesa Johnson and Jordan Coburn. Our merchandising managers are Sarah Lee Steiner and Sarah Hirschberger Valencia. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is MullerSheWrote.com. Season four of How We Win is here. For the past four years, we've been making history in critical elections all over the country. And last year, we made history again by expanding our majority in the Senate, eating election-denying Republicans in crucial state house races, and fighting back a non-existent red wave. But the MAGA Republicans who plotted and pardoned the attempted overthrow of our government now control the House thanks to gerrymandered maps and repressive anti-voter laws. And the chaotic spectacle we've already seen shows us just how far they will go to seize power, dismantle our government, and take away our freedoms. So the official podcast of The Persistence is back with season four. There's so much more important work ahead of us to fight for equity, justice, and our very democracy itself. We'll take you behind the lines and inside the rooms where it happens with strategy and inspiration from progressive changemakers all over the country. And we'll dig deep into the weekly news that matters most and what you can do about it with messaging and communications expert, co-founder of Way to Win, and our new co-host, Jennifer Fernandez Ancona. So join Steve and I every Wednesday for your weekly dose of inspiration, action, and hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez Ancona. And And this this is how we win. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, Welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, 
How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is lawyers, guns, and money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.